York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side So appropriate, so appropriate said, hey, honey, Lou Reed, on walk side. on the wild side Lou Reed, who actually was a King Neptune Many, many years ago for the annual Mermaid Day Parade In Coney Island, which uh, kicked off yesterday hey, After Joe, a two-year hiatus gave it away uh, in fact, about 10 years before Everybody I became King Neptune in 1999 with my queen, Latifah, who was queen of the Mermaid Day Parade, I was King Neptune. But there's a reason that we're playing Lou Reed here. And that's because the lead story nationally has Leah Thomas banned. The transgender swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania is no longer allowed to compete in any world swimming contests at all. And in fact, they have made a decision that if you have not begun the transition before age 12 to compete in women's events, you're out on your tukis. And in fact, they said that... Uh, well, according to the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, they feel that this is prejudicial, especially against men who are transitioning to become women athletes. And amazing that they want to start a new open competition in which anybody can compete, male, female. And we're going to go through all the variations coming up. Of all the terms that are utilized now that, let's face it, a very, 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 very confusing to all. Well, let's start with this because this is a major decision. In March, Leah Thomas made history in the United States as the first transgender woman to win an NCAA swimming championship, the 500-yard freestyle. Thomas said last month on ABC's Good Morning America that she was aiming to become an Olympic swimmer. That's not going to happen. She also disputed those who say she has a unfair biological edge that ruins the integrity of women's athletics, saying that trans women are not a threat to women's sports. The members, by a majority of 70% to 30%, voted that Leah Thomas could not any longer compete as a female in Olympic swimming events. And, oh, boy, logic has prevailed. Who are the 30% that voted to say she could? That's who I want to know. Here it is. She has all the anatomical uh, plumbing of a man, and yet they let it compete against women. And you know where this all started, ladies and gentlemen? This started with our our uh, 
head of the Department of Education in the United States, appointed by Joe Biden. The name, eh, not a household name, Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education. Now, the reason I know him and many of you in the tri-state area is that before he was elevated to the Secretary of Education in Biden's cabinet, he was the Commissioner of Education in nearby Connecticut. And he decided that any transgender high school, junior high school, elementary uh, athlete who originally was a male but claimed that they were a female, they didn't even go through a transition, didn't have any hormone blockers, didn't remove their three-piece set, and all of a sudden adapt the anatomy of a female. As long as they said they felt like a female athlete, he allowed them to compete. And actually, they were winning event after event after event in high school competition from Bridgeport to New Haven to Hartford to Norwalk. And parents were saying, how unfair. Female athletes were saying, how unfair was this to be? In fact, even uh, Martina Navratilova weighed in on this, uh, obviously a professional of many years and acknowledged lesbian. She said, you can't do that. You can't do that to these aspiring young female athletes who have been working hours, days, weeks, months, years, perfecting their sports ability, and have some guy coming in with high levels of uh, testosterone, and just because all of a sudden he's taking estrogen supplements, you're going to allow him to compete against women? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As the uh, number one story of the day is that Leah Thomas's band can no longer compete in any international events involving swimming and will not be able to qualify for the U.S. Olympic squad, squad as a member of the University of Pennsylvania. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. You know, all of this goes back to uh, 2020. There were four female high school athletes in Connecticut who filed a federal lawsuit claiming that it was unfair and discriminatory that female athletes had to compete against transgenders. And they claimed they were protected by Title IX. Remember, Title IX was created so that if you spend X number of dollars for male athletic uh, sports uh, uh, participatory events on a collegiate level, you had to at least kind of match that with the females who were participating. They said their rights were violated and that it robbed them of top finishes and college scholarships. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. As we test out our dischronificator on our 50,000-powerful watts of sound coming out of Lodi, New Jersey, and naturally our spectrometer, which conflates our FM signal that comes out of uh, WLIR. And as you know, Matt, who's on loan from the Frank Morano Show, FM stands for freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, Frank Morano. So that all these calls get conflated in, and then it's up to uh, Alex Verutreditor, who's also part of the Frank Morano, The Other Side of Midnight, to begin to process them so that your voices can be heard on this subject. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But I ask all of you, where did this all originate from? The whole idea, the whole notion of transgenders. I know I first saw it on the David Susskind Show. That's right, Sunday nights on Channel 5. Don't call him David. He would get very upset. I know because I was featured on there one time. I said, you know, David, he said, Mr. Susskind to you. Now, remember on the old Metro Media Channel 5 Sunday nights, David Susskind had the first transgender. Who was she? Where was she from? Why was she so famous and infamous? And she had local roots. If you haven't a guess that, you're going to win a Curtis Lee booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. I throw nickels around like manhole covers. But you will be styling and profiling in a WABC cap that rocks the Curtis Lee show. But who was the first transgender? When did you first see them, as I first saw them, on the David Susskind show? You may have read about them in the newspapers. And it is a fascinating story. Because this man who became a woman did not hide, did not become a recluse, actually traveled and lectured and promoted transgenderism, and even took on, little hint here, Spiro Agnew, that vile, despicable, corrupt vice president, former governor of Maryland for Richard Nixon. Remember at that time, Richard Nixon was thinking at the GOP National Convention. Should I pick Spiro Agnew or should I pick John Lindsay? Yes, John Lindsay he was thinking of. And who walks in the room, Moneybags, the world's richest man at that time, governor of uh, New York? It was, um, yes, Nelson Rockefeller. And even though he was so wealthy, Matt, understand that every night outside his hotel room, he would want a bottle of Dubonnet delivered with Oreo cookies. Dubonnet. I would like to eat out your stomach muscles. The world's richest guy would drink Dubonnet every night. Anyway, he comes in and he says, Richard Nixon, you beat me fair and square in the primary because because I uh, I had to divorce Happy. Oh, you couldn't divorce back then. Oh, that was who disgraziata Shanda. When you look at Donald Trump, you look at Curtis Lee. Well, not on. You look at Curtis Lee. You got to count my divorces on uh, on two hands. Uh, that doesn't even get factored in when you run for office anymore. But back then, it was a death sentence. Why did you divorce Happy? That's it. We don't care if you're the world's richest man. And so, Richard Nixon was resurrected. He had to make a decision. Would he take the young, sort of model-like, silk uh, congressman uh, uh, who became mayor, John Lindsay? Or would he take the evil, corrupt Spiro Agnew, governor of Maryland? And Nelson Rockefeller walked in because, you know, governors hate mayors and mayors hate governors here in New York State. And he said, if you dare pick not my nemesis, John Lindsay, you won't get a nickel, dime or penny from me, from my brother in Arkansas, from my other brother in West Virginia, all of them in elected office. You will get bupkis. You'll get who gots. What do you think Richard Nixon did? He needed the money, right? So he said, uh, John Lindsay, why don't you become a Democrat? Because you're going nowhere, pal. Hey, Spiro, I love you, baby. I love you. He was corrupt right down to the marrow of his bone. Amazing here that it has taken a little bit of time for people to siphon through 
Who was the first transgender? I saw her on David Susskind Sunday nights exactly at this time. And it rocked my world to learn that she went to a local high school here in the five boroughs. To, to hear her speak, to see the blonde hair, almost like Marilyn Monroe. And I know some of the guys were probably salivating. I know a guy like Frank Morano, a real mama Luke with the pocket protectors, you know, he probably would say, wow, I'm a contrarian. I could go for a shot of leg on her, him, whatever. Anyway, our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Richard, who's calling from Ridgewood, not in New Jersey, not the Duck Pond, not in Bergen County, but Ridgewood in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Richard. Well, it was Christine Jorgensen from Christopher Columbus High School in the Bronx. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. Thank you. And uh, when did you first discover Christine Jorgensen? Well, first of all, I'm a dozen years older than you are, so probably from the same time you did. In the 50s, it was, she was a celebrity of sorts. She sang, uh, she produced records, I think. And uh, she was a singer at the piano bar before before yep. there was Bette Midler and uh, Barry Manilow downtown <laughs> in Greenwich Village. She performed every night at Freddy's Supper Club on the Upper East Side. And guys would come in, you know, businessmen at that time, you know, they worked for advertising firms, all kinds of corporations suited down. They had no idea that she was a man who had sex reassignment surgery in Copenhagen in Denmark and was now officially a woman. One of my college classmates became uh, prominent in the 60s, born Wendy Carlos, then is the electronic composer. I'm sorry, born Walter Carlos, became the electronic composer Wendy Carlos, and did a fantastic interview in Playboy magazine about her, her experience. I know that she's tried to suppress it. I happen to have a copy, um, but it's a, it, this and Wendy graduated with me from Brown 62, 60 years ago. So yeah, I think wait, 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 Richard, I'm having flashback now. You know, today is a very significant day for me 30 years ago. Uh, individuals, uh, Gotti's, the Gambitos tried to end my life. They shot me five times with hollow point bullets. So I've been in this sort of time machine. You went to Brown University? Yep. I had a partial scholarship to Brown University. I I've heard you say so. In Providence, they were going to accept me until the Jesuits shined their boots on my backside at Brooklyn Prep in Crown Heights, kicked me to the curb, and I never looked back. I never looked back. Well, you, you missed nothing. It wasn't New York. Well, I did a, I did a debate there. This was a big – you remember that big assembly hall? They had 4,000 students. It was the drugs versus the feds debate. Um uh, I, I had this to was be after I left. I don't think there was an assembly hall that big in my time. Oh, but I might, might misremember, and maybe somebody will correct me. It was packed with people who loved their drugs. They were there to see their guru, Dr. Timothy Leary, and they were there to see the head of the Yipsters, Abby Hoffman, on one side, Curtis Lee on the other side against drugs, and the former DEA chief of the Carter administration, Peter Benzinger who had just uh, retired, and he goes to me, you know, two of my sons are here going to Brown. They're in the audience. Please don't embarrass me, Curtis. I told him, get off the stage. This is war. <laughs> and we went to all, it was like WWF, WWE. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And then all of a sudden, Abby Hoffman, I'm talking to him, you know, on the podium, 
and he's talking about, oh, Cuba, and, you know. The, I said, you know, Fidel Castro, I realize you sat down and you had a meal with Fidel Castro. But if you took out a blunt, if you took out a joint and you started to smoke it there, they would have dragged you into the back of their gulag, shot you twice in the back of the head. He jumps up. He goes, I'm a Hebrew warrior. I'll knock you out right here. And Dr. Timothy Leary got between the both of us. You would have thought that Vince McMahon Jr. had choreographed it. Listen, the most interesting, just to digress for a second, the most interesting thing about the Castro administration, the Castro group from the beginning, there weren't any black people. No black Cubans. No. Look at the pictures. No, but there were a lot of schmucks. I mean, putz, I mean, <laughs> misguided youth, mostly white, liberal progressives, a lot from the Upper West Side, like Ruth Michigan, a messenger, who went over there in the Venceremos Brigade. And they cut the sugar cane for free because they wanted to help Fidel and Raul Castro and, of course, their hero, Che Guevara. But if they didn't notice the absence of black people, they must have been blind. Well, no, 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 no. Remember, criticize us, but you could have criticized them. You know, there was a point I was reading in the New York Daily News about Christine uh, Jorgensen, who is now officially a woman. And all the reporters were waiting at the old Idlewild, a.k.a. now JFK Airport. The airline came in, landed on the tarmac, all the paparazzi, because uh, she had gone through the transition. The Danish royal family was on the flight. They get off. They're on the tarmac. They think all the reporters are there for them. They walked all past the Danish family. All they wanted to talk to was Christine Jorgensen, who, I mean, you couldn't pick as a better candidate to be a transgender. She fended off criticism. She explained the decision that she made. And she was a World War II veteran. Now, what was her birth name? It's hard to find. Mm. Well, now, see, um, I mean, you're going to have to do the deep dive, Richard. It's not in the Wikipedia. You know so much, Richard, but you don't know enough. That's true. And by the you, way. Likewise yourself. I'll never forget. She took on Spiro Agnew. She went up to the vice president who called Charles Goodell, then the U.S. senator from New York, the Christine Jorgensen of the Republican Party. She walks up to Spiro Agnew. I mean, this this woman had chutzpah, had coulions. Well, no, they removed the coulions and the huevos. But the point being, <laughs> she goes, how dare you call Charles Goodell, Christine Jorgensen, three snaps up. He's got nothing on me. And then she broke out into a song. Spiro Agnew walked away. Do you know who Charles Goodell, the Republican U.S. Senator of New York, is the father of? No, I forgot that. The the commissioner of football? Yes. Bingo. Boy, you're going to get a second booby prize on that. Roger Goodell, who actually uh, ended up growing up, and he became the driver, uh, the chauffeur for Pete Rozelle, who was the commissioner of the NFL. And as you know, Richard... The chauffeurs, the drivers know everything. That's true, yep. You know, they're driving and they're listening to the conversations of whoever they're driving. Uh, my friend Johnny Legit, big shot in the corporate world, he'd have a very heated meeting and he would tell his adversaries, you know what, I'm a little hot under the collar. Uh, where do you have to go? Oh, oh, you're staying outside of Princeton, New Jersey? Tell you what, Mr. Singh, please drive this gentleman wherever he wants to go. And Mr. Singh would drive and listen to everything and report back to Johnny Legit. <laughs> I'm telling you, all these tricks. And then there was a time I remember I was reading about it in the Daily News. Christine Jorgensen moved to Massapequa Park, right out there in Nassau County. 
and she was going to marry Howard Knox in a Lutheran church. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of Martin Luther emerged. He was ready to, he was ready to hammer the indulgences on, on, the, uh, on the door of nearby uh, uh, St. Agnes, the Catholic uh, high school there. And all of a sudden, they said, no marriage certificate because you are listed as a male on your birth certificate. So do you know where she went to live? The Chateau Marmont along Sunset Boulevard. And she went on, as you mentioned. She was a great singer. She was a background singer. She was an actress. And so many people, Richard, had no idea that originally Christine Jorgensen, who you correctly indicated went to Columbus High School in the Bronx on Pelham Parkway, was a veteran of World War II, originally was a man who anatomically had all of her plumbing removed. I raise a question about the, the current preoccupation with transgenderism. I've asked more than once people, how many transgenders do you personally know? And most people don't know any. And so it's become an issue where people, an issue about something people don't know personally about. Well, you know how I, you know how I came to grips with this? I was eating my Wheaties. World's greatest athlete at that time who had lived uh, up in Connecticut, lived in Westchester. And uh, the decathlon champion of the world. Do you know who I'm talking about? Montreal Olympics. Uh, I guess Bruce Jenner. But, yes. But I got to tell you, Westchester is not in Connecticut. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. He, he lived both in Westchester and Connecticut as he went on to become this great athlete. And then Bruce decided he couldn't be a male any longer and was a female. When I had announced that I was running for the mayoralty of the city of New York on the Republican line, and I came back to WABC the last time, do you know who came up running and hugged me and bear hugged me and said, Curtis, you've done it. I'm so proud of you, Curtis. And I looked up, because he's big. She's big. And it was Bruce Jenner in drag. Listen, the, the thing about transgenderism, you can't change the voice. The voice stays funny. Hmm. Well, and as you point out, the Adam's apple sometimes stays as well. Well, I thought I thought that Donna Summer and the summer of uh, 78, 79, 80, when she was the diva of all divas in the disco world. I thought at the club one time when I saw her perform that I thought she had an Adam's apple and I couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. I, I, I will take that to my grave, Richard. I will take that to that my grave. My first opportunity to bisect and dissect somebody as being a transgender, and I struck out swinging. You were, you were aware of the Adam's apple in 78, 79? That's very precocious. Uh, ooh, boy, that's a $5 word, precocious, man. I'm going to have to hit the dictionary on that one, Richard. But anyway, stay on the line. You, say, you, you notice, Matt, you notice, Alex, the quality of the caller compared to the schlubs, the Schmendricks, the Pishers who call up Frank Morano. You see, this guy, Richard, if you had him on at 4.30 in the morning, you know, uh, what, 10 questions, uh, 60 seconds to answer, he'd answer 20 questions in 60 seconds. But the quality of your callers, oh, my God. Uh, uh, uh. I know it's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The next Curtis Lee will be prize. Who is the first transgender in tennis? Where did she play? What was her occupation? And what became of her? 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. Check this out. Entertaining and informative. Talking about Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This was the number one song, and I listened intently as a young male adult with high levels of testosterone, and Q, no, 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 not not for that, but for curiosity, now it's Q for curiosity, I don't know, queer curiosity, I don't know, we're going to go through that acronym, because they keep adding on letters to LGBTQ, and I'm like, huh? I'm like, I'm suffering vertical, but listen to the kinks. Ah, exactly what Richard said in Ridgewood, Queens. They, they can look like a woman, but they'll never lose that male voice. He was so spot on. And I know you, Matt, when you first heard this song, you got a little titillated, a little excited, right? You were like, wow. How many guys said, gee, what the hell are the Kings talking about? What clubs are they talking about? To the Lower East Side, L-E-S. And there were quite a few of them. And you would look at them and you would say, they are drop-dead gorgeous. But do I want to be seen with them? Do I want to be stigmatized? Because when all is said and done, they're still a male, aren't they? Like Christine Jorgensen? Ah! But for those of you who were adventurous, those of you who decided that you were like Lewis and Clark, that you would explore, the next thing you know, you were copulating and fornicating. You woke up in the morning and you said, what the hell did I just do? Ah! Who was that tennis player who at one time of great renown in the medical community decided, that's it, I can't compete any longer. You know, that Bobby Riggs uh, schmuck there, that guy, you know, would play Billie Jean and all the rest, that hustler. No, 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 I don't want to be like Bobby Riggs playing the Astrodome, uh, rip off people for millions and millions of dollars. So set up matches like the WWE, WWF. I want to compete against women. In the U.S. Open at Forest Hills Stadium. Who am I talking about? It was back in 1975. I mean, we're talking about this now with Leah Thomas, who has been told you can't compete in the Olympics as a transgender in the female category. Tough no geese. But this woman back then in 1975 was breaking new ground. And a lot of tennis players out there, women who said, oh, no, you don't. The Virginia Slim Store, remember they called it the Virginia Slim Store? Why would an athletic event be promoting cigarettes, not in the 50s, but like in the 70s and 80s, right? I could see Billie Jean King Moffat between sets. No, I couldn't see that. Not a not a Oh, God, I couldn't have it. First to come out of the closet, uh, I could never pronounce it. 
Did I ever tell you I went to the U.S. Open? I was forced to go because I hate, I loathe, I despise tennis. To the Louis Armstrong Stadium, and then I see the statue of Arthur Ashe. Great guy. I had seen his statue in the uh, Walk of Confederate fame until they took down all those Confederate generals in Richmond, Virginia, where I have guardian angels. And in order to offset all the Confederate generals, Lee, Jackson, go right down the line. At the very end, they had Arthur Ashe. I said to uh, the person who was guiding me around, I don't think Arthur Ashe was a Confederate general. They said, oh, they put him here because he was from Richmond, Virginia. Now, that was a normal statue. The first time I saw the Arthur Ashe statue, and I know a lot of you people, you went to the U.S. Open, you pay $150 for a microscopic piece of quiche. No real men eat quiche. But anyway, and I look at this statue of Arthur Ashe, great tennis player, unfortunately died of AIDS. And I'm looking at he's butt naked. Uh, I, I don't think uh, people celebrating Juneteenth wanted to see Arthur Ashe butt naked. That is Claire Schumann at the time. She was like the Queensboro president. She was old for toots. Look, it's Arthur Ashe. No. Do we have an answer to this? Very, very important. Let's go to Mark. I don't know if he's a man or a woman. I'm not interested. I'm just interested in the answer. Uh, oh, that's Carmelita Carmen. Uh, what's, your, what's your name again? Curtis. Camelia. Camelia from Canarsie. I'm kind of, hey, good, Canarsie. Let's go to Mark and Rahway. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Yeah, Curtis. I'm the one, You every time I call, you said, I'm in the prison. No, I live by the prison, but that's another story. Oh, yeah, that's one of, one of the regrets I have in 68 years is I never did time in Rahway. I mean, that was a man's man prison. I wouldn't know, but I trust you. But anyway, it's Renee Richards. Yes. Yes. And what was her occupation? Uh, Because obviously she she played tennis. She became a professional tennis player, female division briefly. But what was the skill level she had that fascinated people? I believe she was some type of physician, but I don't remember what. Yes, I believe, Mark, that she had a combination degree from down in Houston as both a dentist and an optometrist. Very good. You know, those $5. Ophthalmologist. (laughs) Yeah, those $5 words, those multisyllabic words, they always get me. And by the way, I bit my lip earlier, so uh, I can't nail these these fancy, uh, you know, $5 words. But anyway, Mark, do you remember anything else about Renee Richards? Hmm. Let me I let mean, me let me tell you because you you don't remember you, you, you nailed it you nailed like it yeah, yeah but let me tell you about Renee Richards and it just shows you how liberals and progressives uh, can fake can fake people out they all came together and they said this is great Renee Richards had gender reassignment therapy so that's it her three piece set was gone she was officially a woman. She started playing in women's tournaments, wanted to be in the U.S. Open when they played it in Forest Hills. And 25 out of the 32 top women players in the world, including uh, Martina Navratilova, I got it, mm-hmm. refused to play with her. And then towards the end, when she finally was given some leeway after she had to go to court, she was able to play in the U.S. Open, but she got knocked out in the first round. I wonder where is Renee Richards right now. We owe her an apology, don't we, Mark? 
I agree. And one other thing, Curtis, I got to say, I love you so much better on Sunday afternoons without that Escraciad uh, Han. I love your solo better. Get oh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I wear so many hats. Uh, remember, it's the trifecta, the trinity, the troika for me on uh, Sundays because I do uh, the other, other, other side of midnight starting from 12 to 6 Sunday mornings. Then I come back from 3 to 5 solo. Then uh, after Vinnie Maduno, who is the real coming uh, rocketing star, the Staten Island Kid entertains with uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo for two hours and then Dina Lewis spinning stacks of wax of her father. And then I come back to wrap it all up from 9 to 11 with the news of the day. That's why I was able to tell you about Leah Thomas. This decision just came out that she cannot compete as a woman uh, in the swimming part of the Olympics. And then the most requested, the most called into uh, of all the segments that I do where it's always broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour with my beautiful wife, Nancy, who's got a whole host of stories tonight from 11 to 12. And then the barrier, Dominic Carter comes in because, you know, Frank Morano, he's the golden child. He, he can do no wrong. He's the ratings leader here at WABC. Barely, just barely by a hair's length. I'm on him. I'm on his jockstrap. No, no, no. Not in a sexual way, in an analytical way. Uh, and I'm not permitted to uh, do an inquisition of him because Matt is here to protect him, his board operator, Alex, and all the other four people who work for him. He's got six people. I only have two. You see what I'm dealing with here, Mark? I do. I mean, Frank the Mama Luke, right? Totally. But stay on the line. Mark, you're going to get your Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. And now I'm thinking back. I was encapsulated. Uh, I need I need a little walk on the wild side here. Please, please. Uh, you, you're ruining my style here, Matt, and you're doing it on purpose. I need Lou Reed. He's a, f- he's a member of the um, fraternity that I am a esteemed member of. He was King Neptune, uh, I believe, in 1989 for the annual Mermaid Day Parade that was resurrected yesterday after being on the shelf because of the lockdown and pandemic. And I was uh, King Neptune in 1999. And you know who my queen was? Queen Mermaid? Queen Latifah, that's right. Legitimately. You know, from East Orange. Hip-hop, hooray! Hip-hop, hooray! Don't ask her about Juneteenth because she doesn't know anything about it. Don't ask the, the Shadrules there in East Orange about Juneteenth, because they're not going to know anything about it. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. Everywhere I went today, and I was everywhere, bing, 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 ricochet rabbit. Nobody knew anything about Juneteenth. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. I'll bet you Richard, the brainiac, our first caller from from Ridgewood, Queens, who knew all about Christine Jorgensen transgenders and sexual reassignment surgery and was throwing those $5 words around. I bet you he didn't even know about Juneteenth. Because this is a holiday nobody knows anything about. And when I went up to these white guys, right, they were Verizon workers. I said, what do you know about Juneteenth? That I get a, I get a day off and I get paid. That's all I care about. You want to give me a second and a third uh, day's pay, holiday pay? I'll take that, too. Aren't you at least interested in what the national holiday is about? No. Nope. As long as it's a paid holiday. Ask those guys, New Jersey Transit, Friday night. Choo Choo Charlie, the engineers, the engineers who decided to abandon their trains in Penn Station because they weren't getting bonus pay on Monday for Juneteenth, the national holiday. And they didn't get fired. 
I mean, Murphy, who calls everybody a knucklehead, he could have fired them. But no. They're union members. Thought she was James Dean for a day. I need that. Yep. Then I oh. guess she had to crash. Valium would have helped that fashion. She said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. And I'll never forget, as a young, nubile boy, I think I was like six years old, I was watching the ABC Wide World of Sports with Kurt Gowdy. The thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And remember back then, as part of the Cold War, was JFK versus Khrushchev. You remember that great movie, Failsafe, with uh, Henry Fonda, you know, being JFK and some guy being Khrushchev. Well, the battleground turned out to be in the Olympic Games. 1960 was Rome. 1964, it was Tokyo in Japan. And what uh, tactical uh, weapons did the Soviets had? They had the press sisters. You know who the press sisters were? I mean, look, I didn't get hot to trot on the uh, press sisters, uh, Tamara. She was the shot putter and threw the discus and would always win the gold medals. But Tamara and Irina looked like men. You know, they had mustaches, they had beards. They weren't even like Sicilian mountain women. They had muscles. My God, even Kurt Gowdy said, they look like men in the winner's circle. How can the other women athletes from around the world compete against them? Tamara! Irina! Both Olympic Games, they dominated. So Tamara was a really big woman. She was throwing a shot put in the discus. And Irina, her younger sister, was the pentathlon champion. By the way, if anybody knows the events in the pentathlon, <laughs> you can win a Curtis Sliver booby prize. I didn't say the decathlon, no. I said the pentathlon. But they, like, swept gold. 60, 64. And do you know where they were from? Kharkiv. We've learned about that because that's in the Ukraine. And they came from Jewish parents. But unfortunately, I think they got roided up. I think they had gender reassignment surgery because Tamara had the biggest beard, the biggest mustache, was growing hair on every square inch of her body. Longshoreman didn't look more manly than Tamara. How many of you remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Give me a call right now, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know we are in uh, Gay Pride now. Next week in New York City will be the annual parade. Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan. We're going to be talking about him. Oh, he was telling us all about Juneteenth. Wait till you hear him equating blacks moving out of their neighborhood, uh, the equivalent of them being slaves. You know, I thought I was listening to LeBron James. They pay me, pay me slave wages. You're a freaking billionaire. Well, wait a second. You're causing me to digress. I'm looking at these acronyms here. <laughs> I am flummoxed, ladies and gentlemen. You know, like, this is Pride Month. There are flags all over the place. They got these acronyms. It was tough enough for me to know what LGBTQ meant. <sighs> Lesbian, okay, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, right? Okay, I, I'm covered. Five letters. Well, they've just kept adding letters to that acronym. 
Sort of like, uh, you know, when you had your first Lionel train set and you had the engine, then you had the uh, coal wagon, and then you had the, uh, you had the, uh, what was that, the caboose. You had only three, uh, three trains. And then you kept buying added accessories, more boxcars and more boxcars. And then soon your Lionel train set went around the block, right? Choo-choo, choo-choo. Can I give you the latest variation? And this list keeps growing and growing. I kid you not, in advance of the Gay Pride Parade next week, in which they have said, those who organize the parade, if you happen to be police officer or law enforcement in uniform, oofa to you, you can't march in our parade. What will Eric Adams, the swagger man, do? Hmm, we're waiting. You know, Comrade Bill de Blasio, when he was told that last year, he decided not to march in gay pride. Well, I think also because he knew he'd get booed because he gets booed wherever he goes. But the point is, he made the right decision. I'm not marching in gay pride if you're not going to let our lesbian, our transgender, and our gay police officers march in their uniforms. They fought for the right to do that. Well, for a second year in a a row, the the, uh, managers uh, of the parade, the sponsoring organization, has said, yet... And Eric Adams can't figure it out. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Come on, swagger man. You go out to the Hamptons again, just like you did this past weekend. He held two fundraisers. Let's see, save the whales? No. Let's see, to raise money for Ukraine, Zelensky versus Putin? No. Uh, Let's see, wildlife uh, preservation? No. He raised money for his own reelection. In 2025. Is that hubris? Is that chutzpah? Is that cool? Two of them. Meantime, people are getting shot up all over the city. Crime is escalating. And he's out with the trendoids, the rich, the wealthy, the elite. And I noticed in some of the pictures, I noticed, hey, wait a second. That's a crypto monster. That That's a Bitcoin shakedown artist. That's a blockchain Ponzi scheme guy. The, all of that is crashing now, and he's getting wine-dined and pocket-lined by these white-collar criminals who are hiding in Puerto Rico. You know, they've been given a tax shelter out there. They're hiding in Puerto Rico. You know, it's like pharmaceuticals. It's like the oil refineries. Years ago, they were given tax abatements, tax shields in Puerto Rico. Now it's all those Bitcoin monsters. A cyber current, what do we call the cryptocurrency shakedown artist, and naturally the blockchain. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. Let me get back on track. I got to practice this before next weekend. Uh, would you write this down? Uh, I don't know if you're capable of this, really. Matt, I don't know if you, but I want to figure out which one of these applies to Frank Morano because... Frank Morano is a contrarian. He doesn't like to be like everyone else. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's always an independent. Uh, you have some freakazoid candidate, uh, you know, who represents a breatharist. He believes that you have the right to breathe in air and exhale air. Oh, that's a new party. Frank Morano interviews this schlub. Loves to be a contrarian. Are you ready for the letters? The LGG. B B D T T. No, not the insecticide. Q Q U I A A A A. Has nothing to do with alcohol anonymous or triple A. P P P two. 
S-N-B-G-V-G-Q, G-N-C, no, not the vitamin uh, store, plus, and they keep adding on. And I'm saying, I'm supposed to memorize all this? I had enough time. I was thinking a BLT, you know, bacon, lettuce, and tomato, and I had a tough time with that. You know, LGBTQ. Let me tell you what this all means. It's like a hundred terms now. Lesbian, gay, genderqueer, bisexual, bigender, demisexual. Does that have to do with demi more? Transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning. That could be Frank Morano. Unsure, intersex, an ally. Ah! That could be those of us who do not fit any of those categories who identify as being supportive of uh, all this, uh, all these letters and this acronym. Asexual, aromantic, agender, pansexual, panromantic, polyamorous, two-spirit, non-binary, gender diverse, gender queer, and gender non-conforming. Oh, that one is definitely Frank Morano with that pocket protector. He definitely is gender non-conforming. This is the latest. We went from LGBTQ. It's like 34 different letters now. And it has a plus at the end because they want to add on. Like you're adding on to your Lionel boxcars when you were a kid. This is nuts. Now, they seem to know all about this. Hey, I told you the history of uh, transsexuals. Christine Jorgensen graduated Columbus High School. We are here at Pelham Parkway. Went to fight in World War II. Um, ended up leaving the military, all, all top shelf, you know, nothing in disrepute. And then she stopped in Denmark on her way to Sweden. She said, I want to go to Sweden because the Nordic countries, they know how to change your plumbing in the 50s. They really did. Uh, they also believe that instead of giving people a death penalty, uh, you could actually chemically castrate killers and rapists which I'm all for. I mean, I can give you a whole laundry list. You think I gave you 34 letters? I'll give you 34 guys I know in prison in upstate New York that we should chemically castrate. That all started in the Nordic countries. They not only rearranged your plumbing, they perfected chemical castration. And then remember, we have to deal with Juneteenth. Don't tell me you know what Juneteenth is out there because you're lying. I didn't find one person today who could answer the question, including the person who organized the first Juneteenth ceremony in New York City. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. Check this out. Entertaining and informative. Talking about Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Cheaters out there, I know, I know they're guys. You got a home slice on the side, a gumana. This song is to all of you cheaters. Whether it's um, with a heterosexual, a transgender, a she, male, male, she, whatever you want to call it. You know, this is the remake of the Elton John classic. And, you know, I never quite figured out what Elton John was. 
Remember, he'd be up there like Liberace playing the piano. Remember, Liberace was being interviewed. Uh, uh, he was a mamaluke, you know, like Frank Morano. His mother lived in Milwaukee, Polish, all Polish. And remember, he was on CBS, and they were interviewing, and they were saying, Oh, Liberace, uh, what are you going to be doing this afternoon after the interview? Oh, I'm going to see my girlfriend. Get out of here. Guy had a boy toy, right? But he couldn't say it back then in the 50s. He was the number one star on television. And before that, Milton Burl. And what did Uncle Milty always wear every week? A dress. But oh, I'm not I'm not a transgender. No, I'm I'm a man's man. I don't know about that. Every week he was wearing a dress on the most popular TV show when TV was first invented. I think he sort of leaned in that direction. Could we, could we come to that conclusion? And then this will blow your mind, right? You know, you have the Miss America contest, Miss World, Miss Universe. You figure Donald Trump's name is going to surface somewhere in there. He probably owned all three pageants at one time when he was Citizen Trump. Well, here we go. The new Miss Universe decided to uh, answer a question that has been bothering so many of us. How is it a person other than a woman? can bear a baby, right? You know, that's what, what do they call that, baby people. Well, what's the new term, Matt? You're probably very fluent in that. You know, all the politically correct people say, no, it's not just females who can have babies. Who else can have babies? Uh, baby people or something like that. So the new Miss Universe said that not all people who menstruate are women. And I said, ah, that figures Joe Biden, because of Boudicier, the shortage problems, the supply chain issues, I understand we don't have enough tampons. Did you know that? If you go for female hygienic products wiped out in Dwayne Reed, not because they got their Alvin Bragg swag bag and went through the aisles and promised everybody, I won't shoot, I'm just here to loot, but the female hygienic products, there's shortages. There's shortages. There's not enough tampons. So, Miss Universe, in her acceptance speech, is speaking about periods. I mean, it used to be so nebulous. It used to be like nothing of consequence. What do you think about Betty Crocker? Oh, she's my hero. I wish I could be just like Betty Crocker. Now, all of a sudden, you're crowned Miss Universe, and you're talking about not all people menstruate. Men, 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 uh, 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 menstruate. Another $5 word. Are women thinking menstrual health is only a niche topic for women excludes transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people who have periods from the conversation. What the hell does that mean? (sighs) Ladies, I don't know what you're going to do. Joe Biden is blaming Vladimir Putin for the shortage of tampons and female hygienic products. It's it's Putin's fault. It's Putin. Yeah, yeah, makes sense to me, right? Yeah, of course. He invaded the Ukraine. No tampons. Why? Because they were probably used as bandages by the Ukrainian and the Russian armies. Not. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Francis who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Francis. Hi, my name is Francine. Oh, Francine, I I I I, I apologize. I pro- apologize profusely. 
and I'm transgender, and I want to say I can um, commend you on knowing so much about Christine Jorgensen. Well, I was fascinated. I was watching. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that you you knew that she was trying to get married to somebody, Harry Knox or somebody. Yeah. And I didn't know that until I read the book because I'm also I also went through the same thing she went through. Francine, do you realize that that was a bestseller that sold almost a million copies, real copies? We're not talking now. You know, they they claim they have a book a bestseller. Meantime. You know, all the corporations are buying boxes and boxes of books to increase the amount of books that appear to be so. A million book bestseller by Christine Jorgensen. Yes, it was. It really was. And I commend her and I commend you for knowing so much about our history. Oh, not only that, but I'll (laughs) I'll never forget David Suscott. He had that smirk on his face, just like when he interviewed me. And I said to him, oh, you know, David, he said, it's Mr. Suskind to you. Right. (laughs) God, so pretentious, so omnipotent. But, Francine, what caused you to make the decision that you would transition? Um, I transitioned back in the 70s. Uh, I just couldn't function as a male, basically. It, It could not have been easy. No, it wasn't. No. And actually, I had my surgery in 1980. All right. Do you regret? Not Any part one of it? bit. Not one bit. I um, had a successful working career. I had two boyfriends, one six six years and one for 13 years. One died, of, both died of cancer. And um, I'm just basically, I have no regrets whatsoever. Well, Francine, I salute you in honor of Christine Jorgensen, the first transgender. Imagine, I'm just a teenage boy with high levels of testosterone. And she looked like like the male version of Marilyn Monroe. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I'm also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQI, excuse me, plus Americans. I'm not alone. Uh, Well, the president has problems with everything. Coming up when we discuss Juneteenth that nobody seems to know anything about. He certainly didn't. And I went up to so many people today, black, white, Hispanic, hey, Juneteenth, uh, Juneteenth, uh, Juneteenth, uh, these white boys uh, work for Verizon. What about Juneteenth? I love Juneteenth. Why? Because it's a paid holiday on Monday. You want to give me a Tuesday, Wednesday paid holiday? I'll promote Juneteenth also. Oh, we'll get to the nitty-gritty on this, the show where all the bones are buried, and I'll tell you who buried them. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. So I need a song that goes along with Juneteenth. There are no songs for Juneteenth. So I'm uh, culturally appropriating Chaka, 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 Chaka Khan, and I'll tell you why. Chaka Khan 
I first met in Chi-Town many, many years ago when I was forming the Guardian Angels. Uh, man, she was hot to trot. Problem is, she spent half her time with Jesse Jackson, the Rainbow Coalition, the Operation Breadbasket, and the other half of the time as a follower of Scooey Louie Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. She would be at every Savior's Day at McCormick Plaza. That's when uh, Scooey Louie Farrakhan would get together and say, Jews and termites. We hate white people. It was that experiment that went awry. The evil Yaku, the white devil. And you listen to him and you say, this guy's a screwball, he's a crackpot. But people like Chaka, Chaka, Chaka Khan, they go, oh, Ice Cube, Ice Tea, Ice Tray, Vanilla Ice, all the ices. Snoop Dogg, smoking blunts, going, yeah, yeah, Farrakhan, Farrakhan, get out of here. But I'm not going to taint Chaka Khan, so know this, Matt. This is my theme song for Juneteenth. Chaka, 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 Chaka Khan. Because everybody loves Chaka, right? You could be a follower of Scooey Louie Farrakhan. You could be a follower of Jesse Jackson, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, or Curtis Lewa. Everybody loves Chaka. In fact, she doesn't alienate anybody. She really doesn't speak about her politics, but you know... In that deep soulstress, there's a passion for things that are black. South side of Chicago, I don't know if you spent time there. West side of Chicago, I spent a lot of time there. My dad originally from the south side of Chicago, 46 in Rockwell. My first five years was spent there growing up. That's when it was all Polish. Now it's all Mexican. But west side and the deep south side down by 95th Street, hardcore. African-American. So now you figure, okay, we got this brand new federal holiday. Like it came out of nowhere. Juneteenth. It's like, why? Juneteenth. I'm figuring June 19th this year. Okay, Father's Day. Got it. Uh, Doesn't have the same cachet as Mother's Day in May. No, 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 no. You know, Papa was a rolling stone. The Temptations uh, kind of pejorative towards Daddy. Mama, she could do no wrong. The intruders, you know. I'll always love my mama from Philadelphia, right? Then, of course, to me, this was the day 30 years ago that Gotti Sr. ordered Gotti Jr. and the Gambinos, little Nick Carrazzo, Ianotti, Joey D'Angelo, to kill me. And they almost did. You know, they got me with five out of the six hollow point bullets, and Ianotti was told, don't shoot Sliwa in the head. He's going to see that coming. Just just bleed him out. I mean, shoot up his lower extremities. Then you drive him to the chop shop on Fountain Avenue, run by Carniglia and his brother, the Santa Claus of the Gambinos, and they'll put him in a vat and chemically incinerate him. And that's it. Gone. No more WABC always broadcasting Curtis. Well, I had to interfere with that by jumping out of that cab after being shot five times. And you know. Most of the rest of the story. But I digress. We're talking about Juneteenth. So I was everywhere today. I was taking Anthony, my oldest son, to the Lower East Side, where I dived out of that cab on B and 6th Street. And he was amazed. Other people were amazed. Oh, you still here? I thought you were dead. I said, well, what are you, a stoned hippie uh, from back when it was the alphabet jungle, A, B, C, and D? Look at that. You still got a spike. You got a spike in your arm there. Oh, I forgot to take it out. I'm sorry, Curtis. 
Then I went over to Stromboli, my favorite pizza parlor in the whole world. I used to live on Stromboli's, a pie a day. They told me back then they were Italians. I knew they were Albanians, and they are Albanians today, too. I had a slice. Was reminiscing with my son and a lot of the old-timers around there. A lot of Ukrainians, yeah, they were flying their Ukrainian flag. And my uh, son was all for toots. But you see, I digress. As I was walking around the LES, the Lower East Side, I figured this is a diverse community. You got tenements, you got projects. You got hipsters, millennials. You got everybody who goes to NYU because NYU has, like, bought all the property and they don't pay any property taxes. So figure this is the perfect Petri dish. Go up to a hipster and millennial over in Tompkins Square Park, right across the street I used to live on Avenue A in St. Mark's. Hey, does anybody here know about Juneteenth? No. Then all of a sudden walked over to some NYU undergrads. You know about Juneteenth? No. Washington Square Park, I went up to the Rastafarians uh, who would call me blood clod, Yankee man, you rude boy. I said, I'm not here to buy a nickel or dime bag. Uh, you know about Juneteenth? No. Rastaman. Haile Selassie. I said, you think Haile Selassie, the former emperor of Ethiopia, is God? You know, the communists assassinated him. Really? They had no idea. They've been smoking all those spliffs with their jiffy pop hats on. So no matter where I went, I kept asking people, Juneteenth, Juneteenth, Juneteenth. And they were looking at me. It's a holiday, isn't it? Yeah, it's a holiday. You know what it's about? No. You ever hear about it before? No. In fact, uh, here is a person, the Brooklyn organizer, Athena Rodney. She's the organizer. She said, I didn't know anything about it at first. And she's organizing Juneteenth events. (sighs) Wait, wait, it gets better. Uh, Let's go to the uh, intelligentsia of the African-American community here. James Monroe Iglehart. The Tony Award-winning star of Broadway's Aladdin and Hamilton confessed he also didn't know about Juneteenth. <sighs> Hamilton didn't know about Juneteenth. Four-time Grammy-nominated guitarist Robert Randolph, like so many others, admitted to not knowing about Juneteenth. Now, who the hell does know about Juneteenth, right? Actually, I do. The white boy. And not because I studied about it, but in organizing Guardian Angels, believe it or not, the place I was first introduced to uh, Juneteenth was Milwaukee, Wisconsin, north side, African-American. South side were Mexicans, Poles, Germans, Lithuanians. But in the, in the north side, they would celebrate Juneteenth. And so uh, my chapter leader there, Brooks, he educated me about Juneteenth, and I was like, wow. You mean the Union troops told you like two and a half years later after the Emancipation of Proclamation that you were free? Two and a half years later? Oh, that's right. They didn't have an Internet. They didn't have any Boost Mobile phones at the time. None of that. Two and a half years at the Port of Galveston. And you're celebrating that? What about the Emancipation of Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, which freed the slaves? And... Brooks was looking at me like, no, 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 there's no parties around that. There's a party. Oh, it was festive. And that's where I was introduced to my favorite delicacy of all, hogshead cheese on rich crackers, spicy. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that with a nice bottle of Coke, 
Coca-Cola, you know, the old bottle on a hot, sweltering day while people were partying about Juneteenth. I said, go ahead, knock yourself out. I'm going to eat all this hogshead cheese, spicy, on the Ritz crackers while drinking the old-fashioned Coca-Cola. That's how I learned about Juneteenth. That's the only reason I know about it, because nobody knows about Juneteenth. Nobody. And then this guy writes in the newspaper, he writes a um, editorial, he says, why Juneteenth is as important as the 4th of July. Why Juneteenth is as important as the 4th of July. Are you out of your mind? Our nation's birthday, independence for all black, white, Hispanic, Asian Immigrants, people came, uh, you know, the pilgrims, the Puritans. Are you going to say Juneteenth is the equivalent of July 4th? And you don't know anything about it. Oh, I love Chaka Khan. Chaka, Chaka, Chaka. She will be my spokeswoman for Juneteenth. I bet you she knows about Juneteenth. She had to sit there for the four-hour rambling speeches of screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam because she would be invited, a celebrity guest, every year when he would have his Savior's Day celebration where he would talk about Jews are termites, whites are devils. Hey, they don't, hey. You think they knew about Juneteenth? No. I guarantee you I could go to Savior's Day tomorrow and I would ask him, you know about Juneteenth? No. But you know who did know about Juneteenth? The swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams. So out of all the events, and they had a lot scheduled, Juneteenth March, Juneteenth Dance, Juneteenth Barbecue, Juneteenth this. Everything was labeled Juneteenth. You know, pretty soon we'll have sales. It'll be Juneteenth sales. There's a Juneteenth flag. The red, black, and green flag. Hey, wait a second. That's the flag of black liberation. Are they aware of that? That's what the Black Liberation Army flew when they declared war in America, when Joanne Chesimard, a.k.a. Asada Shakur, shot up the police officers, that state trooper in Jersey ended up going to Clinton, the female correctional facility, broke out of there, ended up being smuggled to Mexico City, made her way to Havana, and is now behind the sugarcane curtain of Fidel and Raul Castro. And she was the motivation for Black Lives Matter. Yes, big, large mansions now. Well, let me get back on track. You see, Matt, I'm digressing here. I got to talk about Eric Adams, the swagger man who has no plan, has a 29% approval rating, the lowest of any mayor in my lifetime. Dinkins never had 29% approval. Neither did Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope. Neither did Abe Beam, who you needed to see through an electron microscope. He was such a shorty short. Not even John Lindsay. 29% approval rating. Where was he yesterday? Out in the Hamptons. He was giving a speech at some liberal progressive synagogue. In fact, Russell Simmons used to be there all the time with the uh, Jewish uh, cantor rabbi. And then all of a sudden, Russell Simmons got a little too touchy-feely with the women. And then he was like in Brunei, you know, with the prince there with all the oil money. Whatever happened to Russell Simmons? Oh, that's right. Me too. Persona non grata. So I guess it's Eric Adams who goes out there and he speaks about Juneteenth. And all the Jews are like, Juneteenth? What's Juneteenth? Had no idea. And then while he was out there, he figured, hey, let me do some fundraising. Uh, All these schmucks and putzes out here. You know, I told them that I'm the law and order mayor. Maybe they'll believe me a second time. So he went out and he started giving them money. 
For what? For his re-election in 2025. The guy hasn't even done the job here yet. So today he's in Central Park for a Juneteenth commemoration. Uh, Take a guess how many people showed up for his presentation about Juneteenth. Forty. Four zero. African Americans, many of them claiming they knew all about Juneteenth. I bet you they knew nothing about Juneteenth. And then all of a sudden, here is Eric Adams going off. He's saying, when I was in Ghana last year, I saw how families were displaced, torn apart, and brought over to America through slavery in the holds of the ships, living in dungeons, spending months and months living in their human waste, having their babies taken from them, and saw them dispersed and displaced. Bad. There's no doubt about it. We saw uh, President Barack Obama and Michelle go over there and see the same circumstance. Uh, I saw it in South Africa. Uh, had an opportunity when I was organizing Guardian Angels there. Most people haven't had that opportunity. So I give thumbs up to the mayor for talking about his trip to Ghana. What I don't give him thumbs up for, I give him thumbs down, is he said that when black people live in the five boroughs and they are displaced because of you hipsters and millennials moving in, oh, yeah, that's a form of slavery. I'm like, what? What? what, what? That's right. He said that before he was mayor at the National Action Network gathering of Aslam Shady Sharpton. I remember that. You were here before Starbucks. You were here before others came and decided they wanted to be part of this this city. Folks are not only hijacking your apartments and displacing your living arrangements, they displace your conversations and said the things that are important to you are no longer important, and they decide what's important and what's not important. Go back to Iowa. You go back to Ohio. New York City belongs to the people that was here and made New York City what it is. And I know I'm a New Yorker. I protected this city. I have a right to put my voice in how the city should you get the impression Eric Adams doesn't like white people, right? <laughs> Go back to Iowa. Oh, a lot of black people living in Iowa, right? Go back to Ohio. We know what he meant. And yet the hipsters and millennials. Ooh, Eric Adams. Ooh, law and order. Oh, he was a captain in the police department. More crime now than ever was in the eight years of Bill de Blasio. This is what he said to 40 people. Only 40 people showed up in Central Park, he said, about being displaced. He said, there used to be Seneca Village here in the northern part of Central Park, which was established in 1825, uh, and it became home to more than 200 free black people. Good, because uh, this is before uh, the Emancipation of Proclamation, uh, freeing the slaves, and before Juneteenth. Then he said they were evicted about 30 years later to make way for the iconic Manhattan green space that we all know is now Central Park that Frederick Olmsted built. Well, that's like the right of eminent domain. How many people have been moved out of their property, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, because it was for another purpose? Are we saying that it was better to have 200 people Free black people living on that land and we couldn't have Central Park. I don't know about you. When I go into Central Park and I go in often because I live right there on 87th Street between Central Park West and Columbus, 
I see a lot of black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people. I see a lot of tourists. I see a lot of visitors. It's the crown jewel of parks in New York City. And yet somehow Eric Adams is suggesting that nobody wanted Manhattan. He said nobody wanted Manhattan. Now, wait, there's this this rock up in Inwood Park, you know, little north Washington Heights, where the Canarsie Indians got swindled. They got, Manhattan was bought by the Dutch, remember, a Peter Stuyvesant for $24 in trinkets. What the hell is he talking about nobody wanted Manhattan? This guy is a revisionist. He goes, every time they were able to have a foothold, meaning blacks, they were then displaced. As soon as you started to build something, it was torn apart. And he said, I got to start the weekend here. I got to celebrate Juneteenth tomorrow because I got to make sure that black people are not moving on up. Normally, you move out of the city, you're moving on up, right? I mean, you move to the suburbs. Look, they had the annual Puerto Rican Day Parade the last Sunday. There aren't that many Puerto Ricans in New York City any longer because they've moved on up. They're in Dutchess. They're up in Orange County. They're in Florida like so many others, fleeing. They moved to Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee. I mean, they moved up. They're mobile. Their sons and daughters have gotten degrees. They're white-collar workers. They're civil servants. They've moved on up like a lot of other groups. They've been replaced by a lot of Dominicans and Mexicans. Mexicans will soon be the majority of the population of the Latinos and Latinas. But for right now, it's the Dominicans. What the hell is he talking about? You know, I got to hear that speech again. Because Eric Adams, who called police officers that he worked with for 22 years, white police officers, crackers. I think he's got a thing in for white people. Listen to this and tell me if you think our mayor likes white people. You were here before Starbucks. You were here before others came and decided they wanted to be part of this, this city. Folks are not only hijacking your apartments and displacing your living arrangements, they displaced your conversations and said the things that are important to you are no longer important. And they decide what's important and what's not important. Go back to Iowa. You go back to Ohio. New York City belongs to the people that was here and made New York City what it is. And I know I'm a New Yorker. I protected this city. I have a right to put my voice in how the city should run now when he was at those fundraisers yesterday in the hamptons two of them for his re-election effort in 2025 most of the people there were real estate people right buying property and moving minorities out yet he was taking their white money wow he can bifurcate pretty good many of the same realtors who were contributing to his re-election what hubris what a chutzpah He's running for re-election. He hasn't even done the job yet. And most of the people, I looked at the pictures of the people who were like, oh, Eric Adams, you're the savior. Oh, please save us. We're not coming back to New York. They're white realtors who buy property in poor and impoverished areas, invest in it, attract hipsters and millennials or white from Ohio and Iowa, So he takes, oh, I guess he figures he circulates the money, you know, the white money. What a fake, phony, fraudulent fugazi. Anyway, uh, 
going to give all of you an opportunity to explain to us what Juneteenth is because I had a hard time finding anybody out there who knew hide nor hair about our new national federal holiday. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ari, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Ari? Yes. Hi, Curtis. Good evening. So uh, June Juneteenth is a regional, as you were saying, is a regional Texas uh, event and holiday. It's formal. It doesn't celebrate a uh, actual law or anything. The date and event that should be the event that should be celebrated, uh, if one's interested in celebrating uh, freedom from slavery, is the Thirteenth Amendment of the United States Constitution, which did free. Uh, the, uh, all those who were enslaved uh, in the United States. That's the event that should be celebrated. That's a national formal event, a law. That's a major. Now, uh, you, know who, uh, you know who shepherded that uh, legislation uh, through uh, the House and the U.S. Senate? Probably, I guess he's considered one of the worst presidents of all time. Are you aware? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. No, no, not Joe Biden. No, no, you are. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're you're talking about the 13th Amendment? Yeah, well, wait, wait. Let's hear hear Joe Biden talk about Juneteenth. uh, Our president, I'm sure our president will straighten us out uh, about Juneteenth. I mean, he will definitely nail this. Number 30, Matt, uh, don't strain your brain. I realize with Frank Morano, you're a dollar short and a day late. Just hit number 30. He's going down to Texas on Juneteenth, right? The first major massacre, literally speaking, of the uh, Black Wall Street, right, years ago. Now, you see, Ari, even our president has no idea what Juneteenth is. He equates it to the uh, massacre of the black community and the black investors and the black bankers in Tulsa uh, decades ago. Yes. So you see, the whole world doesn't the whole world doesn't know what Juneteenth is. Leave it to leave it to Curtis Lee. I'm going to explain when I come back and why New York City. You see, Eric Adams could have instructed only 40 people showed up for him in Central Park. What does that say about the importance of Juneteenth? 40 African-Americans. I'm going to tell you what I would have told everybody about Juneteenth, what I learned about Juneteenth in Milwaukee while having hogshead cheese on Ritz crackers, drinking Coca-Cola in the old bottles. Oh, God, I thought I died and went to culinary heaven. W.A.B.C. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here it is, a groove slightly transformed. Just a bit of a break from a norm. Just a little something to did, uh, did Will Smith's wife uh, allow him to come out and sing Summertime, you know, that bubblegum uh, pop rap song that he created? In Philadelphia, keep it down a little low. We'll keep that as an underbed here. Ari was pretty good. He said the importance was, well, let's look at the uh, timeline when we talked Juneteenth. We had uh, January 1st, 1863. To me, the most important day, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Actually, uh, puts out an executive order. It was an executive order. Nobody voted on it. 
the Emancipation uh, Proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the Confederate rebellious states are and henceforward shall be free. It's three and a half million slaves at that time. And it was only in the Confederate states, the ten Confederate states. So the border states, Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, Delaware, guess what? Even though they were loyal to the North, they still had slaves. Uh, that was the payoff for their loyalty to the North and not to the South. And the reason he did it then is the South was winning the war. And he wanted the black slaves to join the Union Army, which many of them did. And it also kept out any foreign countries who wanted to help the South. There were little hints here and there. It could have been the French, could have been the English, especially the English. They wanted the cotton trade. And, you know, they had a, their own mercantile exchange. So it was a very smart move. Now, I don't know if Abraham Lincoln truly wanted to free the slaves. That'll be debatable. But he did it for tactical reasons. And then, as you know, years and years later, almost like could have been decades, the slaves in Galveston in Texas were informed like two and a half years later. Could never quite figure that out. The Union troops said, hey, guess what? You're free. Two and a half years later. But Ari almost nailed it, almost got it courtesy with Booby Prize. He said really the most important thing was the 13th Amendment. He's right, because without the 13th Amendment voted in by the House and the Senate, and you had to have uh, three-quarters of the states then ratify it, uh, they could not have been permanent freedom for all men, all women, slave or no slaves. So, I mean, think about that. So you have June 19th, 1866. But if I remember correctly, the 13th Amendment was 1865, preceded it by a year. So even then, black slaves in Texas had no idea what was going on. There was no means of communication. I mean, nothing. Most of the slaves could not read, could not write. So they weren't even able to read any newspapers. And it was, remember, it was still a strong Confederate supporting state even after the Civil War. So, okay, we say Juneteenth. You know what this leads into? Uh, what is that? Carmelita Carmine uh, from Canarsie, the Canarsie girl, and uh, Matt. Uh, yeah, you, you're, you're an African-American, right? You should know what Juneteenth is. But I'm going to tell you what this leads into. And Eric Adams hinted at it today, but didn't go the whole nine yards. I, I, I extrapolated. I interpreted. Reparations. Come on. You know the next step. Reparations. For 250 years of lucrative, unpaid labor that had preceded the uh, uh, the freeing of the slaves through uh, both the initiation uh, of uh, the Emancipation and Proclamation and then, as Ari had mentioned, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, there will be a movement in this country. There already is in some states, especially California and Illinois. Illinois is moving quickly that blacks had provided labor that made others rich, those that built but did not own, those who crafted but received no credit. And uh, California's already putting aside millions and millions of dollars. They haven't yet figured out how they're going to do this reparation, but you know doggone well, California, Illinois, I mean, that's like two of the biggest states. And what? Well, Texas won't do it. 
Florida won't do it. But you know New York's going to do it. Come on. Right? With AOC all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know as they take over the state, they will do it. But what I would have instructed everybody to the 40 people, only 40 people showed up for Eric Adams' Juneteenth uh, presentation today in Central Park. That is not good. I would have said, you know about the Civil War was so important. Could have broke the Union. Could have caused states to go in their own direction. We know that the fight, the battle began at Fort Sumter when South Carolina declared that they were seceding from the Union, right? Everybody knows that. Oh, yeah, South Carolina, Sumter, okay. Do you know who tried to secede, the second entity that tried to secede? I know many of you right now, it's like you were playing touch football in the streets, MIS, SIS, 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 SIA, PPI, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, charge! No, no, the state, yeah. the, the group, the entity that tried to secede from America was New York City. New York City supported the Confederacy. New York City wanted to support slave owning because this was the center of merchandise, the mercantile exchange, the bankers. They were making money hand over fist with all of this free slave labor, and they wanted to keep it that way. Were you taught that in school? Huh, Matt, were you taught that? That it wasn't just the bad Confederates. New York City, which has been the least patriotic. During our revolution, right, you go to uh, the martyr statue opposite Brooklyn Tech, right there in Fort Greene Park, hundreds of American patriots who were put in the holes of British ships in New York Harbor, starved to death, died of scurvy, all kinds of diseases, dehydrated, no food, because the city of New York during the Revolution supported the Union Jack, the Brits, the King. And then during the Civil War, they supported the South. Oh, yeah. There was a mayor. Look it up. Fernando Wood. I don't think he was Hispanic. You know, like Fernando Ferrer, the former Bronx Borough president, almost became mayor. But Fernando Wood wanted to leave the United States. He said slavery was a divine institution. God had destined that white people should have slaves. Wasn't a cracker from south of the Mason-Dixon line. No, 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 no. Right here in New York City. Did you ever learn that? Anybody ever teach you that? Oh, you just like to malign the hillbillies down south. Oh, three eyed cousin fornicators. They have no idea. They fly the stars and bars, the flag of treason. Right here in New York City. The mayor of New York City wanted New York City to break off from the USA. They praised the slave states, and they hated New England. Like I hate New England, you know, the New England Patriots, the Boston Bruins, especially the Boston Red Sox. But to be honest with you, I would have rather have been in Boston, both for the Revolution and the Civil War, because they were pro-Union, pro-America, pro-the Revolution, and they were abolitionists. They supported no slavery. That's where freed slaves was, free slaves would run. When it came to New York, the Southerners would come up and snatch the slaves if they decided to stay in New York. Nobody teaches you that, right? You, you, the mayor could have given that speech in Central Park today, and that would have been an eye-opener. People would have said, you're kidding. New York City supported slavery? We wanted to, we wanted to follow South Carolina 
which really, by them seceding, began the, uh, uh, what can we call it, the... uh, the collapse of what we knew as America, and thank God for Abraham Lincoln keeping the Union together. But I never learned about that in school. It should be taught in school. Uh, A lot of people would be shocked that New York City was a place like this where none of that took place. But I will tell you, the next thing will be reparations. And you know what the excuse is going to be? I have already figured it out. While all of you were trying to figure out what Juneteenth was, I was figuring out... What is going to be the excuse to now have reparations in New York? Because New York's moving in that direction like California and Illinois. Now that Juneteenth is an official federal holiday. They're going to say, remember when they hung those Italians in New Orleans? You have no idea, Matt. No idea. They were rounding up Italians and hanging them like lynching blacks. They were lynching Italians. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt, hero of Frank Murata, what a disgraziata. He actually said, it's good they're hanging Italians down in New Orleans. What kind of a self-hating Italian is Frank Murano? But anyway, President Benjamin Harrison, a Republican, granted $25,000 payments to the families of the 11 Italian-Americans lynched in New Orleans in 1891. But then Congress slashed the payments. Not enough was ever done. And who created Columbus Day? President Harrison. Not Teddy Roosevelt. He hated Italians. And then Ronald Reagan, our president, gave reparations of $20,000 to every surviving U.S. citizen or legal resident of Japanese ancestry incarcerated during World War II due to the prejudice, wartime hysteria, and lack of political leadership of FDR. Ronald Reagan did that. So now, if you happen to be African-American and you now have this federal holiday, Juneteenth, that nobody knows anything about, why wouldn't you just follow it up and say, Italians got reparations? Not a lot. Japanese finally got reparations. They would do that. They were incarcerated. Proud, loyal Americans who were, like, put into quasi-concentration camps. And there's going to be a move. And... uh, Let's figure out. The first person who's going to have a speech, I can't, I'm like Karnak the Magnificent right now. The schmuck, the putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, right outside his brownstone there on uh, Prospect Park West. He will announce, 40 acres in a mule. You know where that term came from? No, not Spike Lee, Matt. That's his film company, 40 acres in a mule. He lived there in Fort Greene. Who can explain? The term 40 acres in a mule, you will win a courtesy Lee booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because I throw nickels around like manhole covers. You see, you're learning something tonight. Because you certainly didn't learn anything about Juneteenth with the days to build up. Juneteenth, Juneteenth, Juneteenth flag, Juneteenth cakes, Juneteenth uh, sales. Oh, that's right, Chaka Khan. I love Chaka Khan. I loved it when I saw with Screwy Louis Farrakhan, the evil one. I loved it when I saw with uh, Jesse Jackson and Operation Breadbasket, uh, Rainbow Coalition. I loved it when she came up to me and I was in Grand Park there training the Guardian Angels, our first chapter in Chicago. And she said, you know who I am? Chaka, 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 con. And I said, you are an ebony princess. Yikes! Uh, See, she is my, she is, this is the official song. For Juneteenth on the Curtis Sliwa Show. 
Go ahead, quibble with it. Tell me it ain't a great song. Oh, we'll probably have... Oh, that's right, both snurdly. Oh, no, it should be Chaka Khan. It should be Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, they're outstanding. No, they're not. No, they're not. Chaka, 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 Chaka Khan. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And notice, nobody has the answers. Right? We talked about transgenders. We talked about uh, Uncle... uh, First transgender on TV, right? Uncle, uh, who was that man again? Uh, come on, man. Uh, no, not Christine Jorgensen. That was with David Susskind. Uncle Milty, remember? Right, you forgot already? Every week he was in a dress, national TV, number one show. And then who followed him? Who followed him, remember? African American, every week he had his own variety show. Anybody? Yes, Flip Wilson, you got it. Oh, you're very good, men dressing up as women. Now, do you think Flip liked dressing up as a woman? I think uh, Milton Burrow liked dressing up as a woman. But then so did Wesley Snipes. So did Sly Stallone. So did Dustin Hoffman as Tootsie. Almost won the Academy Award, remember? God, a lot of these guys like dressing up as women. Do you think it was forced upon them as a rite of male passage that if you're going to be a star in Hollywood, you got to wear a dress or you'll never get a Hollywood star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Think of it over and over. Oh, Robin Williams, right? Robin Williams. He pulled it off. By the way, who actually pulled off the best impression of a man wearing a dress who actually appeared to be like what I know you're going to say RuPaul. No, Rand Paul, Ron Paul, none of those Pauls. Drag race, no, no, no. Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon. Some like it hot. Oh, man. Were they hot? Remember, he's in the speedboat, and all of a sudden, he says, Oh, you look so gorgeous. And he pulls off his wig, and he goes, Hey, schmuck, I'm a man. We got to get out of here. 1-800-848-9222 as it's Chaka, 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 Khan. W-A-B-C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 W-A-B-C. Black Lives Matter, better known as Big Large Mansions. Let me help you with 40 acres and a mule. And it's not Spike Lee's joint, his film company. No, 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 no. Let me direct you uh, outside of the Plaza Hotel. Many of you, what was that, Home Alone? Remember, that's where you saw Trump in there. What was that, Home Alone 1, 2, 3, or 4? I don't know. Joe Pesci, remember? Oh, great, great stuff. 
And then that kid was hanging out with Michael Jackson, you know, that pedophile on the pedestal. But he said he never did anything to me. Right, 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 right. There is a gold statue of a man on a horse. And the pigeons never fly and poop on him anymore because they have some kind of paint on that statue that shoes my beloved pigeons away. General Sherman, that's right, viciously burned his way to the sea, right through Georgia, right through Atlanta. One of the greatest movies of all time made. You remember that with uh, the profiteers? Huh? Come on. I'm not giving you a booby price for that. That's one of the greatest movies of all time. But 40 Acres Interview, where did that concept come from? Let's see if Rosemary in Westchester is cogent enough to let us know. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Rosemary. Okay, I'm not positive, but I think that after um, their slaves were declared free, if they stayed on the land of their masters, they would get and they would be like subtenants, and they were given acreage and the mule to stay there, and they still stayed at the same location. I think. Ah, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Good try, though, Rosemary. I already gave you the hint. That crazy guy used to beat up his wife. He was a drunk, a lush. Weren't all the generals back then, right? The Union generals, Grant, Sherman. They all are like uh, raging uh, drunks. But there's that statue. He's on that horse, right? That golden horse. Pigeons don't come by. Did anybody ever ask, how come the pigeons don't poop on that statue? Because he would probably incinerate them and burn them like he did all the Southerners and their crops as he burned and pillaged his way through Georgia. I mean, not good. There's no way that you do revisionism on that. You know, Lincoln loved them, but I would take that statue down, right? I would take it down. And nobody would know who it is anyway. <laughs> all right. We removed Who's that? I have no idea. Juneteenth. What? I have no idea. 40 acres in a mule. It was actually a field order that had been issued by Sherman as he was slashing, pillaging, raping, and burning his way to the sea through Georgia. Because it was a way to encourage the slaves to leave their plantations and join the Union. Not necessarily always as soldiers, but the promise was 40 acres and a mule. Now, how did Spike Lee get his 40 acres and a mule? That's what I want to know. I mean, the kid, right? He went to, what, Dewey High School, right? He, he grew up in Fort Greene. His father was a great jazz player. I, I don't know how he ended up with 40 acres and a mule. He wasn't around at the time of Tecumseh Sherman, killer, marauder. Oh, but he's our hero. They don't even know who he is. People pass by. Hey, who's that guy on the horse? I have no idea. I just want to know why the pigeons don't poop on him. Because he didn't incinerate them. They probably realized that guy killed everybody in his wake. You know, let me give you another fact. The war was over, right? It was over. Appomattox, right? Grant accepts the sword from General Lee. Sherman knew that. His troops knew that. They still kept slashing and raping and burning, and they were bombing Charleston on their way out. They said, oh, you started the war, Fort Sumter? We'll finish it after the war. Oh, but you don't learn that in school. Oh, you hero, hero. 
Let's go back to the phones here. To Steve in Brooklyn, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Steve. Yeah, hello. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to add on my opinion about the compensation for the slavery. Uh, all to today, all the Let me ask you a question. Hold on. Hold on. You're yes. speaking a little bit too fast. What country are you from? I, oh, boy. I, I hate this question. Every time I open my mouth, everybody asks me. Because I can barely understand you what you say. What country are you from, Steve? Okay. I am from Hungary. Okay, hungry. Oh, all right. You'll, you'll be perfect for this. So you believe in reparations, right? No, I don't believe. I, let me tell you my opinion. Yeah, actually, I would support reparations, but there is a thought about that. Very confused. I support it, but I don't support it. It's like John Kerry. I support the war in Iraq, but I don't support it. I support it. I don't support it. You see, I, I always have to wrench that out of Most people should be proud. Yeah, my country of origin. What about it? Georgia. No, 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 not the state. The country, Georgia. That's where Stalin was born, right? I'm proud of that. How many times do you notice people hesitate? Why? Why do you need to know? Well, I want to know. You, you know, you have an accent. Well, are you prejudiced? I'm not calling you an illegal. You know, you're not like all those uh, thousands down there at the border now ready to bum rush across once Title 42 evaporates. I just want to know, where'd you come from? How'd you get here? How come your accent is so strong? I mean, God, all of a sudden you can't ask any questions. Anyway, let's go to Rosemary in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rosemary. Uh huh. I just wanted to say that Juneteenth, I believe, is supposed to commemorate the uh, the day uh, back in 1619 when the first shipload of slaves were, were landing in the uh, New World, so to speak. Is that uh, is that what you think uh, or what you know about it? Uh, Rosemary, I think you've been reading the New York Times. Project no, sixteen nineteen. I know. No, no, no. Don't, don't, do, do not tell me I read the New York Times. Well, that's, that's a piece that, of crap. I wouldn't even uh, use that if, at the bottom Rosemary, of a bird. Rosemary, that's where the whole Project sixteen nineteen came from, claiming that the only reason that uh, that America was colonized was for slavery, even though we know that that was not the case. Correct, Rosemary. Well, I, I didn't say what you just said. You're putting words in my mouth. Oh, you're I getting, you're getting you very contentious, Rosemary. No, that, I, well, it had well, nothing to do with 1619. And by the way, I don't like the way you attack uh, Frank Morano. Oh. It makes you very small. Oh. It makes you seem like a very small and jealous person. Oh, so you defend Frank Morano, huh? No, I'm attacking you. Oh, that's I, I kind of understood that. You know, uh, I've had wives uh, who weren't as bitter as you are towards me. Uh, I'm telling you, she, she hung up. She's a sycophantonian lackey of Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. I knew I knew there was a hidden agenda. Oh, 1619. Well, you know, that's project of the New York Times. No, it's not. I hate the New York Times. That's a typical Frank Morano listener. They can't even connect the dots. They won a Pulitzer Prize for that. They didn't deserve it. Let's go to Max. I need a little testosterone here. That estrogen really blew my mind, Max. I don't know if I can promise you testosterone, 
But I will say, I will not ask how you're doing, and I will not say thank you for taking my call. How's that so far? Oh, you're making you're making me for toots. For toots, I'm making you for toots. Oh, okay. I can say that uh, many of the dates I cannot give you uh, definitions on, but I I appreciate. And I think it's a very good idea that you're going through this uh, historical uh, venue here, and I think you should do it every night. Second thing, um, I can tell you that Sherman was sculpted by Auguste Saint-Gordin. That I can tell you. you, Uh, Wait wait a second. You you have an eye for sculpture there, huh? Who knew? Who knew? Ah, see? See? Uh, You're one of the few who actually knows. That's the statue of General Sherman there outside the Plaza Hotel. Do you know that at one time the statue was turned around so that the posterior of the horse was facing a very famous retail establishment? Do you know what retail establishment that was? Um, could it have been uh, Burdoff Goodman's? That's not too far away. You couldn't be more hopelessly correct. You're right. And so the owners of Burdoff Goodman demanded that they were tired of looking out their window and seeing the tuchus of the horse so that they would have to turn the statue around. So they turned around the tuchus a little bit. Exactly. L'chaim, l'chaim. Zagazun, zagazun. Yeah, I see you when I talk to my Orthodox friends. Zagazun. People say, how do, you, how do you know so much Yiddish? Well, you know, I say, righteous Gentile, if you work enough retail in New York City, you pick up a lot of Yiddish... A lot of bad words. Oh, a lot of bad words. Uh, but then uh, you connect them. Did I ever tell you that I used to work at the old WLIR before John Katsimatidis purchased it and made it the FM outlet out there in the uh, east end of Long Island? It was a two-watt station in Rockland County near, I think it was uh, hmm, Muncie. It was owned by Talkline Communication, uh, Zeb Brenner. And I would go up there once a week, and the program was Ask the Gentile. And Shlomo uh, was the board operator and the phone screener. He did everything. And everybody would call in to me in Yiddish. They thought I knew Yiddish. And then he would translate to me in the headphone while I was musing. And I would give him an answer in English. And they, they would then give me English and say, Curtis, how did you know what I was saying? Worked retail, you know. Uh, I worked, uh, you know, uh, Mo Ginsburg, you know, he used to have the soup place in Brownsville, you know, Abe Stark. I, I would reminisce and they would say, wow. Yeah, yeah, you ask the Gentile. Yeah, well, when is that Mama Lou coming in here? I, I want to see if he knows that woman there. Oh, she was like, my God. That, that's why he's a Mama Lou. He needs women to defend him, Frank Morano. He hides behind their... Um, what can we call it? They're, they're aprons. Let's go to Scott calling all the way from the uh, Rocky Mountain state of Colorado. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Scott. Curtis, you're a munch. Here I am with the Spilkus. I'm spitting like crazy. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, I think that Ford... <laughs> All right, have fun. No, no, hey, look, uh, I'm having flashbacks uh, to that program, uh, Ask the Gentile. But go ahead, Scott. I, I think when you referenced 40 Acres and a Mule, was that the um, Homestead Act? Yeah, very good boy. Are you a historian? Did you do well in history in school? 
No, I just listen to you a lot, so I learn a lot of. Well, I uh, I got to parse my words. This is broadcast. Yeah, yeah, you really got to parse your language. All right. Well, I'm sure glad to talk to you. And if I was in New York, I'd be wearing one of those I voted for Curtis pins. Oh, yeah. They're, they're making the rounds, Scott. In fact, all through Queens, Bayside, Whitestone, College Point. People are walking around. They got buttons. They got stickers. Don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. I wonder if he's going out to sort of smoke a, a blunt there. You know, you go along... Um, Colfax there in the heart of Denver there. There's like marijuana shops all over the place, like the size of Walmart. Yeah, yeah, that's coming too here in New York and in New Jersey. And I know some of you are for toots too going, wow. You know, I get my fireworks in Walmart-style stores in Pennsylvania, and I'll be able to get my marijuana in Walmart-style stores in New York State and New Jersey. Over the course of human history... There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, some relief from transgenders, transsexuals, transvestites. Juneteenth, which uh, almost very few, if any, people knew about all day long, no matter who they were. To a subject matter, animal welfare, that my wife uh, has a passion for, lives it, understands it, and wants to convey information to all of you, whether it's dogs or cats or other animal issues. Thanks for coming on board again, Nancy. Thank you for having me again, Curtis. Wow. I understand that we're going to convey to people the, the sad part of when you rescue uh, animals and pets who were destined to be killed in shelters if nobody would claim them. We have uh, another story of a cat that you rescued that was um, basically, we'll call it on death row for the disease that he had. Can you tell us a little bit about him and what eventually became uh, of Wolverine? Yeah, so Wolverine was adopted uh, shortly after the pandemic had uh, began. And in I don't know if people know, unless they were necessarily like, going to the shelters, but the shelters weren't open to the public in the same way. So uh, there was some element of them being closed, and then you had to make appointments. But there was a lot of animals who, you know, just weren't being showcased. So uh, this... A uh, cat that we adopted uh, about you know two years ago now uh, was on the kill list, but was also on an additional thing, which was like a Department of Health hold, because when it came in, there was this perception that it might have had a bite on its leg. So they have this standard protocol where if an animal comes in with a bite, they have to be quarantined for six months. So we adopted him like two and a half months into his quarantine period and. You know, he came to stay with us, and he, unfortunately, when he was relinquished to us, 
he had been tested for, uh, you know, they do the feline leukemia type, so, you know, the whole testing, and he came back negative for everything, but it turns out that he was positive, and he had, like, immunodeficiency disorder, and because of that, you know, unfortunately, there was things that uh, weren't maybe addressed that could have been, but it just meant that he was compromised, ultimately, and so he, he did great for a while. You know, he, he kind of adjusted. It took him a while to adjust, and he became such a great cat in the household. That was so, what was so wonderful about him. He was so well-received by all of our cats, and he loved being with all the cats. Like, he had such a open personality. He was a great cat. Now, if you could be more explicit, Nancy, um, he had the equivalent of what humans have if they have HIV, uh, he yeah, had, yeah. I believe, right. the vet called it FIV. Correct. Yeah. So it's it, again, and they they call it that. Um, the naming convention sort of came around a while back, and it's and you know obviously it's not similarity necessarily in many ways, with the exception that it's um, you know immunocompromises. So what happens is when you have that. So for instance, when we adopt uh, cats into the house. I mean, those are the basic tests they do. They they look to see if they have that or feline leukemia. Now, uh, feline leukemia is one that tends to be, that's a little bit more of a concern because uh, the ability of that to spread to other uh, cats you have in the household because it can be spread, um, you know, just by sort of using the same types of food dishes. and what, So that one is a little bit more of a concern, but somehow the... Uh, the FIV has always gotten a really bad name, but the only thing that's bad about it is for the cat who has it, really, because their uh, immunosystem is compromised. So they become more susceptible to getting uh, ill by, you know, uh, any, you know, being introduced to new cats or anything happening. Like if one cat gets sick, it's like, you know, healthier cats can fight something off if they're just introduced to it, but that's not the case for these cats. So again, it's it's just something that you need to be aware of if a cat has, that's all. Well, it's interesting because uh, those of us who actually remembered when HIV-AIDS hit hard, our human population, uh, predominantly first uh, gay male population and then uh, intravenous drug users, uh, those who might have got it through blood transfusions, and then with Magic Johnson, although he had the uh, antiviral uh, uh, medicines uh, kept him uh, nice and healthy, and uh, he's lived a very healthy life. Uh, I remember seeing some people that I knew that I grew up with who had HIV, and they deteriorated just like I saw Wolverine, where the yeah. immune system uh, fails them, and then uh, their bodies get ravaged. And he never, ever complained. And what I mean by complaining is that he would always go and he would care for all the other cats who weren't feeling well or maybe had uh, just been uh, rejected by the other 18 cats, you know, some kind of a squabble, some kind of fight. He, he almost had human characteristics when it came to that. And he and he was very polite as well. So, for instance, when the other cats were, would want to have breakfast in the morning and if we happen to be sleeping a little late, their normal personality is they're meowing, they're jumping all over you. He would literally just sit next to you and look at you and wait till you got up, just to let you know. Like, he was he was very you know, polite in that way. Yeah, no, but just as uh, I personally got to see HIV in its worst form caused then full-blown AIDS, and it just interfered with that person's uh, 
ability to fight any kind of infections. It could be a simple cold, simple cold, and then all of a sudden that human being would die and would suffer in the process because they had absolutely no immunity. That's what happened to Wolverine. We could see him. He was getting infected with almost everything and yet fighting it off, fighting it off. Yeah, and I would say uh, certainly something as a, a lesson learned in a situation like this is, you know, when you have testing done on animals in general, like obviously, uh, you know, again, I think a lot of the veterinarian care and thing like that is like cost prohibitive at times, but maybe getting a second set of blood work done, you know, a year down the road just to make sure that everything is, you know, correct and, and the same as what you initially were being, what the cat was being diagnosed with, because just in case there is something that's amiss, it, it's a good idea to actually to verify that. And uh, I know you can't explain it, but I can explain for our audience uh, what you had to do, uh, jump through the hoops in order to save Wolverine from being executed, destroyed two years ago. Because of the diagnosis of what he had, he was uh, segregated. He was like in, um, he was in the Bing. If you were in jail, they call that the Bing. I've been in there a few times, which you're completely separated from anyone else. It's like segregation uh, from the population. And uh, I'll never forget the day you said to me, I'm going now. I got to leave now. I got to get this cat before the cat is destroyed by the shelter system. And you brought Wolverine back. And I looked at Wolverine and I said, wow, it'll, it'll be amazing if he can live a month or two. And he ended up living two more years because of the care and the love that you gave him. Yeah, he, um, he, he definitely was uh, a labor of love. But when he was comfortable in the household, his personality really came out and, he just turned out to be such a super stellar cat. Like, I mean, I'm just so glad that he was introduced to all the cats we have. I think he made an impact on all of them. In fact, he would stare at me the few hours of sleep that I would get. He would be like a vulture, like a buzzard, just staring at me. I'd wake up and I thought, my God, is he going to eat my nose off my face? But he would always just be like a, a centurion, like a, like a Roman centurion or like a, in the Vatican. You know, they have the Swiss guards, uh, uh, you know, with their Gurkha knives. Uh, it is amazing uh, what, that, what that cat felt. And if people would like to read more about Wolverine, if they'd like to see pictures of him before and obviously uh, days before he passed to the hereafter, uh, how could they access those, Nancy? Well, on your social media, which is Curtis Lewa, so uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it's all Curtis Lewa. So you'll see, uh, you know, all the pictures and a little bit of the timeline of the story about, you know, during the time that we've had Wolverine. But I think the pictures definitely showcase. I mean, obviously we have so many more, but they limit you no matter what on social media. But you know, there was a couple where he's like, you know, hanging out with the other cats and watching over them. So, you know, you definitely get to see that part of his personality displayed. And then when our staff returns uh, tomorrow, I'll make sure that we get it out on the WABC social uh, networking uh, platforms of uh, Facebook and also Instagram so we can share it with so many people. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's just... uh, it's another day that when you go out and you rescue those uh, animals who uh, are abused, 
who are left to die, who are like on death row. That's the way I view them, especially when you're in segregation uh, as he was. Uh, it's uh, you, you play out the course, and it's, it's it's real. I know a lot of people out there now who know exactly what you're going through, uh, Nancy, and what I'm going through. The loss of a family member, the loss of a friend. There's no other way to equate it because they're just like people. Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. And, and again, it's like, you know, they, they certainly have all of their different sort of personalities, but there was something about him, like, the, you know, there's a reason why, for instance, in Cats, they have like a colony leaders. There's someone who sometimes just takes charge of the group, and that seemed to really be his role, like where he could calm everyone down and he would settle. Like he had a very leading role in the group. So, you know, even though he was very soft-spoken, he was extremely noticeable. Well, we're going to miss Wolverine. Miss him dearly, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a chance to read about the life and times. Uh, he, he like rose like a phoenix from the ashes of what would have been uh, his death, his death warrant. Uh, to live another fruitful two years. Our number is one 800 Speaking of like a family member, like a human being, it was a major court case that was determined over an elephant that we have followed over the years up at the Bronx Zoo, Happy. Uh, a court determined that Happy cannot be determined to be a human being, that he must stay uh, in the zoo he cannot go out to a preserve, uh, tough noogies, a happiest property. He has no rights. Yeah. So uh, once again, this is the this is the highest court in New York State, and they certainly dropped the ball with you know moving forward the animal initiative. This is really sad. So you know, obviously, this is always why the animals have problems. I think, unfortunately, a lot of these individuals are just influenced by these other decisions. You know, they put companies first and they put um, all these businesses first that utilize animals for their own purpose, but they never require them to treat them in appropriate response. So these animals are always going to be facing an uphill battle. But here, uh, you know, they clearly were – the court was saying, well, we're we're not going to say that they're a person – but we're recognizing that they're not merely a thing. I mean, that's like the weakest statement in the world you could possibly say for them. And basically what it seemed like the rationale rested on, well, we prevent abuses to animals. Like, you know, we've already gone so far as to create laws that protect the most extreme abuse. So we're not going to go further than that because that could lead to uh, and actually, they they actually use the term parade of horribles that might follow if animals are given too much protection. So, again, it really just shows where the priority is. Now, this elephant, Happy, is over 50 years old. The lifespan of elephants, I mean, and this is in, you know, in the wild, so I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a little less in, uh, in captivity, but it's about 60 years. So if you want to start saying that you're hanging your hat on uh, you know, you, you protect like cruel and unusual punishment. I would say this this elephant has act, absolutely earned its right to retire in peace. There's no financial responsibility for them. A sanctuary is going to take this animal. Like there's nothing. And, and actually in 2005, they made a statement that they were going to stop their captive elephant program because they were saying that 
uh, it would be inhumane to sustain an exhibit with a single elephant. Well, meanwhile, this is 17 years later, and this elephant is still living a solo lifestyle. So they acknowledge it themselves, but they're not being called to task to actually stand by what they said. So this is a problem. I'd say the best thing you can do at this point is maybe just, you know, it, there's always power in, in money. So maybe if you stop going to this place or they stop getting revenue or people start protesting, I think, you know, that. Like, you know, once they're, their pocketbooks spill up, maybe they'll change their minds on this decision right here. Well, let me give a little bit of the backstory on Happy. Happy uh, was brought over from Thailand and was introduced to Grumpy, an older male elephant, and they were pals. They got along. So at some point, these two younger elephants attacked Grumpy and killed Grumpy in front of Happy. Now, imagine if that happened to human beings in front of another human being. So Happy was traumatized. So they kept... Happy completely isolated in uh, a contained area, and Happy started banging its head on the rocks. The way we see sometimes emotionally disturbed persons do that, and they give them medicine and they put a, like a helmet on their head to protect their heads because they do damage to themselves. So here is this this animal that was mourning the loss of its friend, and a lot of people don't know that elephants mourn the loss of their fellow elephants when they die. Grumpy banging its head, uh, great uh, great animal rights activists came to the Bronx Zoological Society and said, why don't you just give us happy? We'll even buy happy. There's, there's this uh, elephant preserve down in Texas. Happy can roam about because this is the way elephants are. They roam from place to place. And the Bronx Zoological Society said no. I mean, Why? This elephant watched two other elephants kill its bud, uh, Grumpy. Then it's it's going through a psychotic disorder like a human being. This organization had money, was willing to pay them just to give uh, Happy some relief. Uh, the reason I'm so, uh, so uh, ticked off about this, it became an issue in my campaign for mayor. The Daily News was making fun of me. Oh, protector of happy, happy the pachyderm should stay in the Bronx Zoo till the day it dies. Really? It's like once a animal is assigned to a zoo and somebody else comes along and says, you know, this this animal has problems. It has mental problems the way a human beings do. We could take them to a, a preserve, a reserve in which they'll live a better life. And then the zoo says no. And nobody you complains know, it, about that? It actually sounds like what, what's happening in the, the criminal justice system today. A, a little too much of uh, catering to the perpetrators of the crime, and unfortunately, Happy just loses. This is incredible. And, and I hope people, <laughs> when they go up to the Bronx Zoo, because, you know, there are a lot of people who go up there. I've been up there many, many times. And that they question, they cross-examine them and say, free Happy. Free Happy. Let Happy go to Texas. Let it go to the preserve with the other elephants where it can roam around in its final days because it's been so emotionally traumatized. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go right to the phones. It's Roberto calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Roberto. Hey, how you doing, uh, Curtis and Nancy? Curtis, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Well, I just wanted to talk about we had another runaway carriage horse in New York City again this week. And it was I think it was like around 8 p.m. 
and it got weaved into traffic, got wedged through through two cars. The, the horse got hurt. What's upsetting me is, and I've called up before, I'm an animal rights activist, and I'm a big fan of yours, Curtis. I voted for you. And I see all my other activists, they're saying stuff like they're, they're crying to, to Adams or they're crying to the governor. And I'm like, well, what, you guys, we had a mayoral candidate that showed up at a protest that cared about the issue, and we blew that opportunity. Now, you know, now they're looking for a miracle. It's nonsense. And these accidents keep happening, and the carriage horse industry keeps saying that, no, it's the first one. And, you know, there's been like, like 20 of them in, in, um, in the last 10 years. Well, the interesting thing, Roberto, is that the carriage drivers are in a union, the TWU. This is the union that takes care of the workers in the subways and on the buses. What the hell do they have anything to do with carriage, uh, you know, drivers? So the union refuses to budge. And uh, animal rights activists like yourself, Roberto, me, Nancy, we've said, hey, you're in – you're improperly treating these horses. You're letting them go out in traffic and they're getting hit. Uh, uh, buses, trucks, vans, cars are hitting them, leaving them to die out there. And you say to yourself, why not? Stop it. And I want to take you back, Roberta, because it's very pertinent to our conversation today, June 19th of 1992, when I got shot five times on the orders of Gotti Sr. to Gotti Jr. to the Gambino crime family. I couldn't uh, get to work that morning. Obviously, I was on my way to doing the morning show. And the first call that came in was from a great radio broadcaster known as Barry Gray. He was doing the overnights at WOR, and he would listen to us uh, on his way home. He recognized that I had been shot. He heard the report, so he called into my producer, Mike Thompson, who was on the air, letting people know that I had been shot and they didn't know that if I would survive or not. And the interesting thing, Roberto, is that when I would listen to Barry Gray in mid-mornings on the old WMCA and WOR, he was a believer in the Second Amendment, but every time an animal was hurt, especially in the horse carriage industry, the guy would be ready to take his gun and go out there and shoot the people uh, who would traumatize these horses. He loved horses, probably more so than anybody I ever heard. Wasn't a New Yorker. He's from Los Angeles. Used to do radio programs from the Cotton Club when radio was king before there was TV. But the guy was always talking about how these horses are abused, Roberto. And you know what, Curtis? Eventually, there's going to be a fatality Someone's going someone's gonna to die, and then there's going to be a huge lawsuit, and that's when everybody's going to say, oh, we never supported this. We never supported this. That's what it's going to take. And you know what? It, it, it's going to happen eventually. You know, I was in the, in, in, the, in the campaign. I actually had found some of the Italian guys that owned the horse carriage uh, industry itself. Uh, they were at the uh, 18th Avenue Festival. I was ready to sit down, uh, get them to give up their horses, and, you know, they were more than happy to listen to the potentiality of being bought out by animal rights activists so that these horses can be brought to Pennsylvania and live a decent life, frolicking and playing with the other horses till the day they would pass to the year after. It was the TWU who resisted, the union that resisted. And you said, why? Oh, these guys, uh, instead of uh, being uh, uh, on a horse with a carriage in a place that's unsafe for horses— 
You could be in the motorized carriages that now have replaced horses and carriages all over the world, including in Santo Domingo and the DR. And the TWU said no. Anyway, do appreciate it, Roberto. I had to get my frustration off on that because, man, that really pissed me off. The owners of the horse carriage industry were willing to sit down and be bought out because they recognize eventually this industry will fade. Mexico City, Santo Domingo, uh, other uh, cities around the world have replaced their horse-drawn carriages with motorized vehicles. And no complaints, Nancy. It hasn't affected any of the tourists. None of the tourists say, oh, I'm not going to Santa Domingo because I can't take a horse-drawn uh, carriage ride. Yeah, I mean, and, and in terms of the drivers themselves, I mean, I can understand general self-interest, but it's just a question of your job looking different. So that really is the overriding concern, and that's already taken care of. It's like, oh, there is an alternative. There is an option. It's actually a better option. So that's why they're on board with it, because it doesn't affect them. They'll still have a job. I remember I was in Bombay in India. This was back in the 90s. And then when I returned, they had replaced their horse-drawn carriages with electric carts. India, Dominican Republic, Mexico, but not New York City? That makes no sense. Our number is one 800 let us go to Ann in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare uh, Edition of WABCN. Hi, Curtis. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Stephen Wise. He is the lawyer, uh, unwise, that brought about all these cases. Before the elephants, it was Hercules, the chimp. He is looking for legal personhood. Uh, it's not that he wants to have them as human. He wants them to have legal personhood. And there's three kinds of legal personhood. But legal is the only one that has to be proven, like uh, a posteriori. It's not self-evident. So I was thinking the one way he could have done it, for 10 years he's been doing this, and every time he gets shot down, and now Happy is, you know, the last victim, he should go for partial personhood. I think that might work. Um, To be a legal person, that means that you can be sued. And, um, yes, because I'm an animal care officer or control officer. I prefer care. But in the uh, dangerous dog laws, you are suing the dog. So if you can be sued, you can be a legal personhood. So for Happy, if he had gone for at least partial legal personhood, he might have won. He's been doing this for 10 years, and uh, every time he gets shot down, but he claims it's a success. So, yeah, Happy should go leave the poor pachyderm alone. At this point, she's earned her freedom. Um, And you know what, actually, and to your point, right, so I understand, like like I said, if you're talking in terms of uh, dogs, for instance, so then that's going to reflect on those, like, individual owners. Now, in in a situation like this, I think Happy is definitely has the ability to do something different because Happy is making money for this business. So, in effect, they should be required to be setting up some alternative fund, not in addition to plan, like, okay, well, maybe you only have them for a certain amount of years before they go to a sanctuary, if that was their plan to begin with. But some portion of the money that's coming into the zoo should have been attributed to a happy fund, so to speak, 
And then there would have been the ability for, you know, so, you know that, that sort of uh, argument to exist because Happy should be benefiting because otherwise, it, I mean, it literally is just being utilized for its services, making someone else money, and it's, and it's earning no benefit. Like that in itself should be something that, like you said, does earn it the, or does earn Happy the right to retire at this point because this is ridiculous. I mean, how in the world can you possibly deny this? Like the bad press, the way how it looks on you as a business, which is really in many ways trying to advocate for humanity of animals. You want to educate people about animals, make them more empathetic. You're doing something that's against what so many people would agree with. Like, this is a point where this animal should retire. Like, it, it's just so against what your philosophy is. So yeah, I, think that, I agree with you. Isn't this amazing, And that they keep referring to this elephant as happy Happy is anything but happy. It's but happy, yes. So unhappy. Yes. And, um, Imagine banging its head on the rocks. Banging its head on the rocks, which if that were a human being, we'd immediately take to a mental health care hospital. We would put a helmet on them, a football helmet, exactly. and we'd give them medication. I know. I know. Um, U.S. Surgical. You, you know, are you familiar with U.S. Surgical? Um, they were... They were doing uh, surgery on beagles for a laparoscopy. Hmm. Oh, I yeah. joined okay. their uh, board of directors, and I figured that's the best way. So I got up and I said, look, um, these dogs need to be, when they've gone through all this, you have a sanctuary for them. And you retire them, and then you will feel better. And uh, they deserve that. Well, and, 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 and now you reminded me. That will disgraziare Fauci. Fauci, you would think, would retire, right? He's like 81. He still haunts us. He subcontracted the experiment on the Beatles to the third world country, Tunisia. Uh, Nancy, you spoke. You described the torture that those beagles were exposed to where their heads were like in a vice. They couldn't move their heads. And then they released these, these like, insects that ate their face off. What the hell are you going to learn from that? And yeah. I, I would bet yeah. you, I would bet you, whoever the clinicians were in that third world country of Tunisia who were paid to do this were probably getting their jollies off while watching that. I mean, and this is part of the problem of having such a lack of oversight for this type of uh, funding because all of these companies, and again, it goes beyond just uh, pharmaceutical companies, testing companies. I mean, it's university research. Everyone who's getting grants, who's getting funding, they're in the they're the least, the last people to possibly call out the fact that oh, maybe we've done this before. It's not really going to add to the equation of understanding. I mean, this is their job. So there's not a lot of oversight into what types of testing has been done. Is it excessive? Is it a duplicative? Do we, I mean, are we gaining anything from it? And again, I think the whole goal should be toward moving away from any of this testing. So even with, uh, for instance, veterinarian care, they have, uh, you know, uh, fantastic models that are complete replicas of animals where, so instead of having to, you know, try to work on animals because there, you know, there's also like this, uh, I mean, a lot of animals are being tested on for this reason. So if you can create the same learning experience without having to harm the animals, you would think that should be the move and the shifts and the priority, and it's consistently not. 
So I think that's where the pressure needs to be put on, like making sure that everything shifts in the right direction because we shouldn't be, you know, continuing to harm animals when we don't have to. Well, you know, amazing uh, is uh, another issue that's out there about monkeypox, this virus. It was discovered in 1958 in the Congo area. It uh, has emerged in Nigeria. It's called monkeypox. So the World Health Organization said we got to change the name because it's stigmatizing. So I figured, oh, they they, they don't want to stigmatize monkeys. No, Uh, they felt that because it was based in Africa, it would stigmatize those countries. And I said to myself, oh, it's okay in 1958 to call it monkeypox, but now you can't call it monkeypox? It's like the priorities of some of these people are so misplaced. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's the animal welfare segment of WABC. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Momentarily, we'll be joined by Dominic Carter. He is the barrier between me and Frank Morano, and he's going to have to straighten him out. Now, this is Juneteenth. Frank Morano said something the other day that is incomprehensible as it involves an African-American iconic person who is no longer with us. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll take it up with Dominic. But we want to go back to our many callers here, uh, Nancy. It's Tom from the Jersey Shore. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Tommy. Mayor, Sli- Mayor Sliwa, how are you? I've had better days. I've had better days. Well, we all have, and we and maybe they'll get better. Um, I'll talk to you about a little bit about the, the Bronx Zoo. Of course, the animals are in cages and stuff like that. But people like you and me, um, you don't get to see them unless they're you know confined. And I get it. But I will tell you this: um, since I, I got a couple of years on you, since I was a kid. It was such a, uh, a a beautiful thing to walk through and go through. And then as I got a little bit older, to take a date to, to walk peacefully and uh, just have a great time. Just walk and watch. Then when I got older, I got married and brought my children. Yeah, okay. Then after the zoo, I go to Dominic's or Maria's on Arthur Avenue. But all this stuff about uh, uh, how animals are being treated, well, maybe they'd be killed or something in Africa. I don't know. All I know is when you walk through that piece of paradise, piece of paradise, that you feel good. You feel great. And I don't think the animals are so unhappy there. You know, uh, know that that would be like if uh, you were visiting, I was visiting you in a prison, and you're in an eight-by-four-foot cell, and I can say, you know, uh, Tom seemed to be adapting pretty well to the eight-by-four-foot cell. Tommy, you're not going to be happy in prison. Well, Come on. well you, you know what I think would be like a good sort of um, a compromise in, in terms of what you're saying? Let's say if, for instance, there are, for, like, for example, there's sanctuaries that want to take happy in because of happy's age. So... 
but Happy was, you know, bought from and like uh, rescued from another place. So if you have rescued elephants and you have sanctuaries in waiting to take them, maybe they can be showcased in the, the zoo format, as you're saying, because this way people can experience and see them until they're, you know, shipped off to the sanctuary place where they'll live their life out. So it could be maybe more of a partnership between the zoos and the sanctuaries where the zoos are actually, you know, making the rescues and then the sanctuaries are taking them in ultimately. Anyway, let's go to Henry in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Henry. Hi, Curtis, uh, and, and your wife, Nancy. Uh, about uh, the horses in New York, uh, I think there should be more horses in New York. I think horses play a role, although it's not uh, clear what, what it uh, totally would be, in modern transportation as a backup. Sooner or later, there'll be some reason that that some uh, kinds of transportation goes down, uh, you know, uh, for electronic reasons, GPS, whatever, and uh, we'll say, gee, if we only had horses at this vital moment, we'd be able to get the, the serum from... Uh, that uh, hospital in the Bronx that has it. Well, well, that's why we we have the e-bikes now. So th- those actually come in pretty handy. You know, um, he makes one point. Frank is on his way here to do his shift the other side of midnight from one to five. He begins a five-day marathon himself, and he's coming in in a yellow Pinto, which is like a death <laughs> trap. He would actually be better off. If he did come in on a horse-drawn carriage, uh, a yellow, Nancy, a yellow Pinto. I, I didn't even think you were permitted to have a car like that. Yeah, that sounds fairly objectionable. Anyway, uh, let's go to David, who's calling from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Dave. Yeah, hey, Curtis, I uh, love your show. Uh, a quick shout-out, but before I say that, has the... Uh, has the has the ASPCA ever been brought in on that court case with the with the uh, happy the elephant? Because it sounds like animal cruelty to me. And the shout out is for people for animals in Hillside, a low cost wellness neuter clinic. They're going broke, and they need help. What's the name of it again? People for animals. There's three of them in New Jersey, people but they're under. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and, what, and what is it that they do? They do up. Uh, Provide uh, low-cost, like, spay-neuters? Yeah, neutering plus wellness oh, is vaccinations. And uh, they're, in, they're in incredible economic pressure right now, and they're not going to close. They're close to closing, and I wanted to do a shout-out. Oh, that, uh, that would be I, such a shame if they closed. Yeah. I'll get up the phone. I love your show. But about, how, about the uh, ASPCA, have they ever brought in about animal cruelty? And I'll get off the show and listen. No, I don't you know, believe I, I, don't I, I don't believe I'm not sure they. I've seen them. Yeah, I don't but, think uh, yeah. they actually were involved uh, in this particular court case. But, but I agree. I think that's the distinction. Uh, you know, it, it keeps on not being recognized that this falls into the category of animal cruelty. But I certainly believe it does. I'm fairly sure anyone, if you were just to ask a public poll, if you had a jury on this, it sounds to me like animal cruelty, that this animal's been living in solitude. It was taken when it was one years old. It's been living in confinement its entire life. 
and over it's all, I think almost 20 years now it's in solitary confinement basically I, I mean that does sound like animal cruelty to me so I'm not sure why they're not able to get the happy out because of that basis yeah, and just the fact and people need to understand this happy is not happy it's depressed and bangs its head on the huge rocks that are built into that uh, elephant exhibit there, uh, hurting, hurting itself. And why wouldn't you want to release it to uh, animal welfare rights people who are going to give a good life uh, for the rest of the uh, animal's life that came from Thailand? And, uh, and that's the question. Why would you not do that? I mean, it's just so completely absurd, and I can't believe it's legal. Yeah, and I would think uh, at this point, you know, you say to yourself, they're just being stubborn. They're being pretentious. Uh, they don't like the fact that somebody would question how they're handling uh, the elephant. And, and, but this is why people are stepping into the legal system, because they're hoping that you can get beyond self-interested individuals. You want someone who can actually recognize the entire situation and say, for, say it for what it is. But unfortunately, the New York State court system failed him, and he's still confined. Anyway, let's uh, go to Robin in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robin. Good evening, Curtis and Nancy. I have a good question. What is the best kind of food in your experience to trap cats outside with? I've used dry food, canned food, cooked chicken, tuna, mackerel. What do you guys say? Uh, I would say for for the very hard to hard to lure in sardines, the uh, really stinky sardines in the can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those usually work for the for the hard to get ones. Yeah, do don't take my anchovies, Nancy. Don't take my anchovies <laughs> in that tin. I love anchovies. Yeah, no, those thank oh. you. All right, well, up Robert, you. try it and let us know if it works. If the sardines in the can, uh, you know, the key in the can, you open up the can and you, you put the sardines out. Let us know if it works, Robert. Yes. Uh, I'm catching up to you, Curtis. I got 15. Fifth? I had 16. Wow. One, he, he escaped out of the trap because the door was not secured. Hmm. And so <laughs> is that a feral cat, that, that 16th cat, a cat who lives outdoors? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know. Let us know if uh, Nancy's, uh, uh, we'll call it uh, Felix the Cat Bag of Tricks, of luring mm -hmm. cats in. And a lot of these cats, <laughs> I've seen you with them, Nancy. They're really slick. They're really smart. They know what you're trying to do so that you can trap them and then spade them and neuter them, which they need to be spaded and neutered. And they use all kinds of technology and chicanery on you, but you always you're always able to figure out what their uh, predilection is. Yeah, and and the worst is when you just have one elusive cat in the group, and then you try to set up the trap, and everyone who's been fixed walks in to get the good food. It's like, oh no, <laughs> it just spoils the whole game right there. Now, speaking of that, uh, again, we want to give a tribute to. Uh, great cat that you rescued uh, who was on the verge of being destroyed at the uh, at the shelter uh, system of New York City. Uh, it was uh, segregated from the other cats. Uh, it was uh, given a death sentence. Even the governor, Governor Hochul, if she had called in, 
uh, would not have been able to spare the cat. You were able to rescue uh, Wolverine at the last uh, moment. Wolverine passed into the hereafter uh, in just the last few hours. Again, if you can explain what was the malady, uh, the disease that uh, Wolverine had that caused him to de- deteriorate in front of us the way years ago before there were drugs for AIDS, HIV, AIDS, you would see human beings deteriorate in that fashion. Well, the, what the term is for cats, they call it FIV, and all it's indicating is that there's an immunodeficiency disorder with the cat. So it's going to be more susceptible to uh, catching anything. So, you know, again, the same way that if you're healthy, you can come into contact with people who have colds or like you don't necessarily get it. But, you know, when you're immunocompromised, there's a lot of things that could put you at risk. So, again, that's an important test to have just to know, because, again, it's it's just important to know for the cat. And this way you can help guard against any uh, health issues that happen with them. You know, you can have them on certain medications and it'll prevent, you know, this type of deterioration because it doesn't have to, you know, be a, a it's not, it, it's not a bad diagnosis if you're catering to it correctly and it just requires you knowing about it. So again, I would suggest if you ever get a cat from a shelter or you ever get a cat and you have one set of testing, do a second test, uh, second set of blood work just to confirm this testing because just to know about this on the front end would really, you know, prevent a lot of, uh, negative consequences on the back end, I'd say. Now, Nancy, if people would like more information uh, about what you do uh, in reference to uh, uh, handling dogs, cats, and other pets, and if they needed to reach out to you because they needed some uh, uh, answers to their questions, how can they reach you? Uh, well, the guardianangels.org site, uh, that you, know, you can go to the tab with animal protection, and I can be emailed directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. And, you know, on any of those things, you can link to any of the social medias. And, you know, they will explain any of the updates on all the happenings with animals. All right. Well, we'll continue to sit shiver for the loss of our cat, our friend, our family member, Wolverine. Uh, but now it's time for me to really get on Dominic Carter's case. Uh, so, Nancy... Uh, I'll see you soon. I appreciate it, uh, especially at this time of our loss. Okay, and, and, and thank, thank you so much, and I will see you later, Curtis. You got it. Up next, boy, I got a bone to pick with Dominic Carter. Hey, I wonder what Dominic Carter knows about Juneteenth. WABC. Entertaining and informative. Talking about Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is my theme song for Juneteenth. And I'll tell you why, Dominic Carter. I met Chaka Khan in Chi-Town, Chicago. She was a follower of Screwy Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam, always going to his annual Savior's Day presentation. But she would also be seen in the audience of Jesse Jackson's Operation Breadbasket Rainbow Coalition. And she liked me. But I figured she is the perfect person 
to create this theme song because everywhere I went today, nobody knew Jack Diddley squawked about what Juneteenth was. Nothing. Mm. Not blacks, not whites, not Asians, not Hispanics. Mm. Nothing. Well, it's a holiday tomorrow based on what the mayor says, right? Well, let me tell you something. The white guys at Verizon, they loved it. They said, Curtis, I don't know what Juneteenth is. All I know is tomorrow I'm off and I get paid. You want a, you want a Juneteenth on Tuesday and Wednesday, too? Go for it. I love it. Come on, Dominic. Nobody knows about Juneteenth. What, and and what, so what am I supposed to say? Well, because you are a righteous, Asiatic black man. Mm. Can't you see that out of everything in history, why would you have a national holiday about something that almost everybody doesn't know anything about? I I wish that I could answer that question, uh, to be honest with you. And, you know, I'm between a rock and a hard place here because I I don't want to offend anyone that's celebrating this uh, because it's important to them. But I spent my day celebrating Father's Day. And coming in, uh, coming in, listening to you, and then coming in here for work. Yeah, Kwanzaa to you too. Okay, so let's uh, <laughs> let's deal with Frank Morano coming into this uh, uh, Juneteenth. You know, Juneteenth sales, Juneteenth uh, flags, everything's mm-hmm. Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. This uh, Schmendrick had this to say. Dear Frank, while listening to the segment this morning about cover versions of songs that are superior to the originals, I couldn't believe that no one stated the obvious. Whitney Houston's rendition of I Will Always Love You, which blew the shoes off Dolly Parton. Whitney Houston? Uh, Dominic. I I didn't even catch it, to be honest with you. Uh, 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 Look, you're doing this on purpose because Frank's your homeboy. (laughs) You don't want to take him to task. I will tell you, though, that some people might say racist, uh, homophobe, because of the way he mispronounced her name. Play it one more time, Matt, please. Dear Frank, while listening to the segment this morning about cover versions of songs that are superior to the originals, I couldn't believe that no one stated the obvious. Whitney Houston's rendition of I Will Always Love You, which blew the shoes off Dolly Parton. Mm. So first off... You have uh, a whole family in Newark. As you know, she comes, uh, uh, a whole family. Yes. Upset at what Frank said there. Then you have uh, now coming into LGBTQ, although there's some now they have like uh, 52 letters to the acronym plus. It does seem that way. They're upset because it turns out we found out that Whitney Houston was actually a lesbian. You didn't even know that. I, I'm trying to figure out how do I respond to that. I knew 20 years before it was public. Okay. I want you to criticize Frank Morano. You you, <laughs> you refuse to criticize him for calling her Whitney Houston. Uh, Frank is a remarkable uh, interviewer. He is a remarkable talk show host. And I would never criticize him, just like I would never criticize you, Mr. Sliwa. Dominic Carter, you know, uh, when you came to work here at WABC, there were certain rules and regulations right. that you were told about. Right. You hey, can't, you can't, wait, wait. You By know. the way, you did good during that debate. That was one of the toughest things I ever had to do, moderating that debate. 
between you and uh, Fernando Mateo. I destroyed and, him. And, and and you did pretty good. You know, you didn't reach out to me privately nope. to say to say, you know, hey man, we've been friends a I long gotta time. I got to tell you, Dominic. I didn't have eyes for you. I had eyes only for him. I ah. came in there and I looked to destroy him right out of the box. Remember I said the famous line, "You, Fernando Mateo, are a Bill de Blasio Republican." Dead on arrival. <laughs> Done. Buried. But anyway, don't anyway. don't try to distract us from your defense of Frank Morano. You signed papers like I did, like Frank did. No payola. No payola. Correct. We get paid a fee. We get paid more than we should. But listen to what Frank Morano said the other day. And you knew about this, and you didn't drop dime on him. Uh, this is a, a letter here from John Sharp of Homedale. Uh, he writes, Frank, have a great time in Maui. All the best, John Sharp of Homedale. But this is what's interesting about this. The memo is says, hang loose. And then he includes a check for $40. Now, this is not a check. It's made to me, not meant for a charity or anything. So, John, I don't know if there's specific instructions for how I should spend this money, but otherwise, I, I think it's okay. I'm considering this a gratuity. Thank you very much, uh, John Sharp of Homedale, New Jersey. You're my kind of listener. A gratuity? Now, Dominic, you are going to chastise him. You see, you're the barrier. You're the barrier <laughs> reef between me and Frank. Normally, before they changed uh, uh, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic here, right? I would have been talking directly to Frank. I would have been confronting him. Right. I would have been the inquisitor. So this is a reverse Oreo cookie. Exactly. Thank you for <laughs> explaining it the way it is. But you've got to deal with this. This, this really? could jeopardize all of us. A $40 check. And knowing his listeners, the check probably bounced. Knowing Frank's listeners, I guarantee you that check, that $40 check bounced. And then what? what's worse is the people he surrounds himself with, Alex. He's got a whole entourage here. You know, they say he's, oh, the future of talk radio, the golden child. Why is your face looking like that? Because, listen to this. Matt was exposed the other morning, and Frank chose to do nothing at all about it. Corey is in Florida. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. How are you? I uh, make a living. All right. I have a uh, opinion about uh, Matt borrowing um, Curtis's belt. I think it was for autoerotic asphyxiation. That could be. That's just, I, I, I could buy that. That could be. I, I could. I could All right. Buy Better than the other one. Autoerotic asphyxiation. What are you guys doing, David Carradine? Remember David Carradine of uh, Grasshopper and Kung Fu? Kung Fu, yes. yes Remember they yes. found him in that closet in mm -hmm. uh, in Thailand? Remember in Bangkok? Yes. He was all wrapped in, uh, what, saran wrap, freaky deaky. And uh, Frank Morano chose just to, like, do nothing about it. If It was up to me. You would be expelled, Matt. You would be suspended. You took my belt, and you were hanging yourself and getting sexually titillated? Now, how, how am I supposed to respond to that? 
a serious newsman, what am I supposed to say in response to that? No more freaky-deaky behavior, Matt. And by the way, you need to confront Frank over that payola, that $40 check that probably bounced, knowing it's one of his listeners. You know damn well it bounced. I love you, man. No, no, no. I don't go that way. I realize it's LGBTQLMNOP time, but I don't go that way.